Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Stacks. This is Jay. And I'm Shanna. I don't need a silly, funny name to go with it, because Shanna sounds like a name that would already fit right in with the female bunch. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that that could totally be a name of maybe like that unnamed girl who washed out in the opening oh. <laughs> interview. <laughs> well, I, I would like to think that I, that I that I'd make the cut, but you know they, they'd find uh, reasons to exclude me, even though their <laughs> hazing ritual is. Well, we'll get into it. It's, it's weird. It's not that, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it's not all that extreme, but uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that. It's it's not that far down. Uh, so the female bunch, the third Adamson we've talked about. I mean, second movie, uh, but we also did the doc. Yeah, and, and I'm glad that we did do the doc first, because I feel like I would have zero appreciation for this film without having seen that first it provides a lot of context you you sort yeah. of realize the exploitation landscape and sort of how this stuff worked and, and kind of also how russ tamblin approached the whole thing which is yeah sort of necessary because you sort of you kind of realize watching this is like he's outshining everyone by a country mile Oh, he's doing a lot. He's, he's so good. He gets top billing and he's in the movie. He's got maybe about 10 minutes of screen time. But it's an incredibly important role. Oh, it's the it's, most it's iconic the... pieces of the movie. <laughs> um, and this was so... his first movie working with Al. Uh, although yes. Satan's Sadists had, would, had been released earlier because... Uh, they just couldn't get distribution for any of these movies. He he was just like making a whole bunch of movies in the late 60s that nobody bought until finally Satan Sadist became a hit. And then they're like, we've got a few other movies we could put out. And just, you know, all of these movies started piling out. Uh, so this was shot in 69 and released in 1971. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's interesting because I thought... I thought that this uh, movie was kind of inspired by the whole Manson family thing, but it turns out that's uh, probably not correct, and it might just be the other way around. <laughs> yeah, so on this shoot, they met the Manson family. Uh, they they did it's it's mostly the lesbian sex pickup shots were shot at Spawn Ranch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and. Uh, yeah, they met the the Manson girls there. They were trying to always get them to go out in the desert with them, which is spooky. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't um, good thing. I hope I hope none of them did. None of them did. They were weirded out, and it's yeah. just a couple weeks after uh, they wrapped that the gang were arrested for the Tate LaBianca murders, which is woo. Yeah, that's scary. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so <laughs> like they. They mention in the documentary about Manson having to be escorted off set. <laughs> yeah, they had to remove him because he, he was, was creeping everyone out. Yeah, he was making the girls uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but Al Adamson's murder had nothing to do with the Manson family or this film. No. Uh, uh, and, and what a tragic, senseless yeah. waste it was. 
we, yeah. we discuss it in quite a bit of detail, of course, when we talk about uh, the blood and the blood, blood and the, and the flesh. flesh. I, think I, I blood keep wanting flesh. to call it, yeah, the, I keep wanting to call it The Flesh and the Fiends, but that's another movie we did. That's a different one we covered, yeah. Uh, so this unfortunately is in pretty rough shape. It's one of the rougher ones in the set because the negative is thought to be lost. So this one's really beat up. Uh, they they say at the start that it's assembled from a bunch of different prints. It it looks good for what for what it is, honestly. Yeah, uh, I but mean, like they, they did a good job. Yeah, like I I'm really just happy to have it in any form, uh, especially just in any complete form. That's nice. Uh, and but it's it's really interesting to compare it to the trailers on the disc because they're sourced oh. from the original film elements. Shoot, that's right. You told me to watch those. I didn't do it. Okay, well, they are pretty amazing. They have a couple really hilarious taglines that I wrote down. Uh, <laughs> the the narrator loudly turning women's lib into a menacing reality. Oh boy. <laughs> oh, Ooh, that's, isn't that good? Uh, wow. <laughs> that's not what this movie was trying to say. I don't. Although, Although I would argue that this movie's not trying to say anything. No, this movie's a lark. This is Adamson doing his thing. <laughs> uh, I also really liked a story of women who live by their own rules and men who die by them. That one's a little more accurate. <laughs> that's, that's, that's closer to what happens. Uh, so this was originally titled A Time to Run which uh, you'll notice is the theme song. Like the, the theme song at the start is them saying a time to run. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess. And in, in the opening credits, they just list theme song and there's no song that has like the female bunch in it. It's a time to run. They just didn't <laughs> ever change the credit. <laughs> oh, uh, I, I get it. I get it. Like, yeah. So uh, <laughs> principal photography was 10 days. <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> they they threw this one together really quick it was shot uh mainly in a couple state parks in utah uh capitol reef and goblin valley goblin valley I goblin mean. valley <laughs> um that sounds like the kind of place where you go um you know on your very first quest uh before you have to take out the dark lord you oh, gotta yeah. take out the goblins first yeah uh, I kind of feel like that must be that kind of weird lumpy place at the end. That feels like a goblin valley to me. Mm-hmm. Could be. Yes. The, the end and the start, because this is framed by a really useless flashback <laughs> sequence <laughs> setup. This is one of those movies that, like, it starts ten minutes before the end and then flashes back to the beginning. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a how-did-we-get-here movie that did not need a how-did-we-get-there yeah, I guess the purpose of it mainly is so that they can have Sandy doing voiceover about all the things she's thinking at a bunch of different times. I guess they just well, didn't feel it was clear enough. They probably cut a bunch of stuff out. Yeah, it could be. As we know, Adamson tinkered with stuff if it wasn't selling. <laughs> like uh, just cutting two whole movies together more than sure. once. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, and we'll we'll get to the next disc when we we talk about what this is replaced with, of course, and yeah. <laughs> that one's going to be an interesting one. Oh boy! So uh, this opens with a bunch of ladies on horseback. 
uh, intercut with two people in a convertible and intercut with a plane flying somewhere overhead. There, there's a part where one of the ladies in the plane is like, that's them. But it's totally unclear whether they're talking about the ladies on horseback or the people in the convertible or who they were, where they are in relation to anyone else. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, she's shooting or sniping out the window to get at someone. We can't really tell who. Yeah, we don't know who they're after. They they like fly down parallel to the road and shoot out the car's front tire with a shotgun, which is pretty cool action Actually, it opening is sequence. Pretty cool. Uh, I was not expecting something like well, a, a tire a... exploding in an Adamson movie. Well, and a plane racing a, a car plane, yeah. and someone shooting from it with a shotgun. I mean, that's pretty cool for a really low budget cool. thing. Uh, and you know, it's, it's reasonably well accomplished because they mm-hmm. just, you know, went out and did it because they're maniacs. Yeah. Well, wasn't the, didn't the plane like belong to the, one of the friends of the people? It's John Bud Cardos's plane. Uh, he's the second unit director. <laughs> he co-directed oh, okay. a bunch of sequences. He's in most of Adamson's movies. You'd recognize so it, him. So it wasn't necessarily a case that they had the budget for a plane. No, this this is how Adamson rolls. Yeah, this is where how they got to the set. Uh, This is how uh, Cardos would go get whiskey for poor Lon Chaney when we talk about him later. Oh, poor man. He's in rough shape. Uh, So the car is off the road. Uh, The two people in it bail out. They run into the desert and we've got the theme song that's narrating what's going on. And two people running. Oh yeah, it's hot and dusty. That's right. It's it's one of those narrating the thing that happens theme songs. <laughs> go female, but go. You but could win. Right, but it's a time to run, and <laughs> it's not <laughs> it's not the movie it's not anymore. The female bunch. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so the girls in the plane continue to shoot at them. The guy gets hit in the shoulder, of course heroes always get hit in the shoulder uh the wound effect maybe it's just because the resolution was so low but the wound effect looked all right i think it's pretty good i think like they choose the effects very precisely in this movie but i think each of them is done very well like the pitchfork one when we get to it oh and the yeah brand. the pitchfork one actually you i agree the was, brand looked good yeah they're both like there is only a few but they make all of them count and i think that's mm-hmm. kind of the al adamson promise <laughs> well you know that that is exactly what he says yeah it's like yeah i what what's the quote something like i bet i dare anyone to have the budget that i that i had and come up with something as good as what i came up with yeah something and along those lines something like that, that. I absolutely agree with him. Uh, uh, I, I do too. Cinderella 2000, which we also talked about oh, before, wow. was yeah. that was a trip. Ooh, that one is real crazy. And yeah. and like this is not top tier, but it's still really interesting and pulpy and very specifically Al Adamson. Like mm-hmm. it's a good, distinct flavor of this era of exploitation. <laughs> Let, let's be clear: this is not a good film, but it is. No, you'll be entertained. Yeah, it's it's pulpy. Like we, I sent you the Ebert review. Oh, the <laughs> Ebert review is good. He basically says this is not in any way whatsoever a good film on any level or something yeah. like that. Yeah, uh, he and he just unimpressed. goes off. He does not like it. 
he he invariably found it sexist. Uh, well, well, I don't know. Yeah. There, there, there you know, some... actually, it's kind of forward thinking for its time a bit. Yeah, it's got its problems, but it's also like there. That's sort of a weird thing with Al Adamson is like they leaned into the exploitation, but uh, he wasn't really crass about it typically yeah yeah like like while cinderella 2000 could have gone in a completely different direction and the fact that it didn't is why i liked it so much yeah it's so light-hearted in in just a very weird way uh, where i feel like a lot of similar ones would be pretty rapey yeah yeah and notably this movie kind of doesn't really have much of that either no it doesn't actually um for this kind of topic, you'd think there would. You know, I don't. You're right. I don't think there's even an attempted rape scene. Uh, Russ Tablin's character has consent. Uh, well, no, until the very there, end. But yeah, that's there, a little different. That, that's kind of just like an attack altogether. Uh, yeah. And yeah, and I think they, some of them, you know, this is a gang of wronged women. So mm-hmm. some of them have a past with that, but oh, like yes. that's just kind of mentioned in passing. It's just mm-hmm. a very strange movie. <laughs> it really is. So uh, we we cut to the the lady on horseback and the leader Grace, uh, as we'll later find. It's like if we get him down there, we won't have to bury him. <laughs> and there's our her second in command, Sadie, who has just a big red sixties bouffant hairdo. Uh, she agrees. I think she's my favorite. Sadie is incredible. Uh, she's my second favorite because I I just absolutely love Regina Carroll, who uh, plays Libby. But mm-hmm. I think maybe my absolute favorite thing about this movie is just how incredible it is seeing like these ladies and teal pantsuits with beehive hairdos riding horses in a desert with guns <laughs> yeah with yeah with like their like crop tops and they're always dressed yeah. like they're go-go outfits rather than yeah horseback they don't, riding outfits they're not dressed like a all-female group of people surviving off of the land no but, and like to be fair, maybe you could see this exact same thing in like Saskatchewan and Wisconsin right now today, but uh, uh, it was probably. a novelty and I found it very amusing every time they were on screen. You know, I never thought it was weird until you brought it up. It just <laughs> kind of worked. I mean, yeah, it's heightened. It's It, it has kind of that uh, gem in the holograms cartoon feeling to it. <laughs> that, that's sort of the the main vibe I always think of when I think of Al Adams and the Saturday morning cartoon vibe. Just pack in all of the entertainment, just all sugar, no content. You know, that's that's a good way to think about it. Yeah, like the Saturday morning cartoon of the B movie. Yeah, and like he sneaks some messages in there, but it's it's just you know mostly all good fun. <laughs> mm. Uh, so let's see there. There's the couple, they hide in the cave, and the plane is circling, and the riders seem to know where they are, but as it will turn out, they clearly don't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Grace is like, if you find him, kill him. Save that bitch for me. Oh, yeah, what? I can't remember why she wants to kill her. We'll, we'll get her, to it, I guess. Yeah, betrayal, I guess. It's I guess. a whole weird thing. I don't know. Yeah, uh, there's well, there's a lot going on. It's weird. So Jim is is badly wounded. 
Uh, and he asks Sandy, who we haven't had a name yet for, but uh, she's like, why are you risking your neck for me? She's like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Fair point. I don't like, know why she is either. And, she, uh, and I've watched the movie. Yeah, she doesn't even elaborate. She's like, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and of course, then she takes off her shirt so we can see her bra and breasts better. <laughs> of course, of course. I mean, but she's to doing stop it to, the bleeding. to stop the bleeding. But but like she had technically just torn his shirt off and discarded it literally next to <laughs> the wound. It's like, why? why? It's to see the bra and breasts. Yeah. Because nobody should be wearing a shirt. It's true. Shirts, uh, shirts versus skins. Uh, and then we have the, as you said it, the Lisa needs braces sequence. Yeah, we've got a, we get the dental plan moment. Yeah, he's how all did like, you get involved? You're in so mess. pretty. How do you get involved with all these other pretty girls? <laughs> and it's yeah, like, just how did you get here? How did you get here? Yeah, how did how you did get, get involved in this mess? Uh, echoing, yeah. echoing. <laughs> and we flash. Go ahead. And yeah, it's totally like we're only like two minutes in and we've already got our Lisa needs braces moment. Yeah. And we're flashing back to what is probably originally the actual start of the movie. Oh yes. yes. <laughs> Just like stuck a, a small two minute chunk of like the last 15 minutes into the beginning. Uh, but we flash back to Las Vegas, just great Vegas neon. Oh Yes. They, they, you know, sent a camera crew up and just shot a bunch of cool neon to have a bunch of insert shots for it. I'm all oh, cool. for I, it. That's great. Yeah. No, I like it. I had actually thought it was like stock footage that he had gotten. So that's cool that they, I li- that's cool that they did it. Yeah. I feel like he didn't really do stock footage. That was one of his other things. He's just like, I'm just creating all of this material. I'm, you know, th- this is my brand mm, in okay. a weird that's sort of cool. way. Uh, so we, we get her backstory, Sandy's backstory. Uh, her boyfriend lost all of their money gambling when they were eloping, and then he abandoned her instead of getting married to her. <laughs> so she became a cocktail waitress in Vegas. <laughs> right. And she fell for this, uh, this corny uh, country singer. singer. Yeah. Kind of country. Kind of country. Scotty I, I Mason. thought he was... I thought he was going to be our Charles Manson, but obviously, but that was before I learned that he couldn't be. Right. He's just kind of a jerk. He's just kind of sucks. Yeah, we we get a really long, blurry sex scene between them. Mm -hmm. And we meet her friend Libby, who's my fave, Regina Carroll, uh, who was married to Al Adamson. Oh, Uh, right. Yeah. I just find her really uh, always very compelling in every role. She just makes really interesting choices all the time. I don't know. There, there's it's it's like Renee Harmon. There, <laughs> there's just something about both of them that I, I'm always compelled. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I didn't realize that was that was his wife. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so she is a psychedelic go-go burlesque dancer, I guess. I, I guess I, I couldn't figure out what she actually was before. She's dancing on tables for guys. I don't know. She seems yeah. to make a lot of money doing it, too. <laughs> sure. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so her her guy, Scotty, gets bored of her. And. Oh, yeah, right. It's just like 
There's a very excessive blowjob scene that just goes on forever. That's mm-hmm. like, you know, obviously just simulated from behind thing. It's like, yeah. what are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's it's exacerbated by it not being the actual start of the movie. Like if we hadn't had the plane shooting out a car's tire a couple minutes before, <laughs> I wouldn't feel like, why are we? digressing to this i get it if it had started in a normal way yeah yeah it's like you bring out the coolest shit that the movie has to offer at the very beginning and i i get it you know you you get them hooked at the start but, well yeah uh it it does make the, the the editing of it feel kind of weirdly uneven well that's okay. It's okay. It it adds to the charm. It's still very like that is distinctly Al Adamsony, and I think that's mm. probably a Sam Sherman thing. That's something he always liked to do. I think he talks about that in the documentary. Oh, okay. Uh, but so next day she finds out that Scotty's cheating on her, of course, and she wants to meet him after the show, and he goes out on stage and sings "Let Me Be Free." Which, by the way, we sit through like three whole songs this guy sings. They didn't need them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you got to get that runtime up uh, somehow because uh, we, we're we not at the horses yet. Yeah. I mean, this is an 84 minute movie. It's tight. Uh, <laughs> even though we, we have time it's, for it's three songs. It's a 40 minute movie. Yeah. At, at times it does feel that way. Uh, yeah. Just his bad lounge country. It's like, I don't. Ooh, what are we doing? <laughs> this guy sucks. Yeah. He like he sucks yeah. as a character and he sucks as, as like like you know, he's fine as a vocalist. It's just I don't enjoy this at all. Well, fortunately, after this he never comes back. Yeah, he dumps her and he's like, You should leave Vegas, go home to your farm. And uh <laughs> like... Yeah, what a dick. And she's I... completely like blaming herself. Yeah, I don't even get what she sees in this dude. Because, yeah. like, he looks like... Like, he, he's got, like, a bad bowl cut. Uh, he he wears a leisure suit. Like, <laughs> he, like, yeah, he sucks. He, like, he does not have the allure of... Uh, uh, of even... Uh, Johnny in, in Moonstruck. Like, he... Like never oh, mind yeah. Johnny. He he's not on Johnny's level. Like, he, <laughs> no, he looks like Neil Hamburger. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who that is, but that name is hilarious. <laughs> uh, stand-up comedian whose thing is just bombing all the time. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. Uh, so she overdoses on sleeping pills, and Libby saves her, of course. Of course. And she's like, okay, listen, I belong to this gang of wronged women. Maybe you can join us. <laughs> <laughs> and like, that's a great start to any movie. <laughs> I, you, yep. What it's missing, though, is them coming and getting revenge on Scotty. Which I, oh. I feel, you know, that extra thing. But I guess she goes against them too soon. Yeah, you know, they could have done that instead of. And replaced one of the scenes of them uh, tormenting the Mexican. Oh, that. that poor Mexican squatter, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, man. 
those are a bit rough. They they do really lean into how bad they are in those areas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But first we get just an incredibly chill scene of her being driven blindfolded at dawn to the secret ranch. Oh, yeah, and like this voiceover explaining why they have to blindfold her. Yeah, and it's like, I know a lot of people are always like, why uh, why can't we just know they drove there? But like, I love these sort of scenes where it's just that early dawn L.A. backstreet scenery. It's like, I, I love this. This is like what I'm here for. Yeah. Yeah, so, so this ranch is like, it's basically in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, it's um, just out in the desert somewhere. It's not yeah. really clear where. Near Mexico. Yeah, near near enough to the border that you can get there on horseback pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, and, like, without any provisions and just, you know, yeah. riding in pantsuits and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, bareback, of course. Yeah, yeah well, of course. Uh, they don't have money for saddles. No. Uh, so their leader <laughs> well, of the race. Well, they do, but that's we'll get into that. Maybe the deal hasn't really gone through yet. I don't know. I'm a little unclear as to how the deal works, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, but we've got Grace. She's the the main leader. There's like a lady who's more in charge, but she's like mainly the money lady, and she's not there all the time. Yeah, she yeah, she's usually out and about in her airplane. Mm-hmm. Uh so she's like, We're completely independent of men here. And this is the main rule that the ranch has. Uh men strictly not allowed. Except, except for Lon Chaney Jr. because Except he's, for Lon. He's harmless. He's Well, <laughs> he is not harmless, it turns out. He's he he does seem fragile though. He does. Fragile is the is the proper term. Yeah. Uh, so there's uh, this lady named Sue and her friend, and they're going through their interview to join the gang when Sandy arrives. Uh, and Sadie's like, here come Libby and Pug with their new morsel. Hope she's choice. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I love that one of their names is Pug. And I'm like, this is Pug. So in line with the Manson family naming schemes. Yeah. Uh, and Pug uh, is the one who drove her there. Yeah. And Pug, as it turns out, is the girlfriend of, like, the main top lady in charge. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, she's the one who uh, shoots her up with heroin later. Oh, I never figured out which of the lady faces <laughs> went with Pug's name. I know, it is a little tough at times. They're not very clear about it. They don't say the names that often except for Sadie, Grace, and Sharon. And, and I Sandy. only know Sadie because she has a different hair from everybody else. And she's so great. Sadie she's, is... She's fun. She's a big personality. Uh, like, she feels maybe like a John Waters character mm-hmm. at times, or a Russ Meyer character. Yeah. So technically there's... Two rules, no men, and obeying grace without question, technically. Technically, yeah. Um, so whatever grace says is a rule is a rule, technically, but no men is the main one. Yeah. Uh, well, and t- pretty strictly enforced, it turns out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they have to all go through a test. 
before uh, they can join this gang. Uh, I, I really like the line, it takes guts to be free, Sandy. <laughs> I believe it's well, a Sadie line. That feels like a Sadie line. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the initiation, uh, the hazing, isn't really... It seems extreme until you do it. Yeah, so they, they're buried in coffins, but... For a very short period of time. They, they let the one girl out. Like, they, they go to the trouble of nailing the coffin in and everything, and then they let her out immediately when she asks to be let out, and they're like, get out of here. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, well, maybe they didn't want to kill somebody without, you know, maybe they didn't want a police report. But then to actually go through with the initiation she only needed to be in there for like another 10 seconds and she would have made it yeah she would have been fine because like and and it it really takes uh the the heat off of sandy who knows they're not going to go really far with it (laughs) (laughs) these other two just wash out completely right in front of her it's like well those guys left so i'm really not in a whole lot of danger here i just need to keep my cool like it's a like a couple on, minutes it's like being on fear factor and you're the second contestant uh and the first one ran away from eating the bugs but you see but then they've already shown you that the bugs are gummy bugs right so <laughs> it's like it's, sure i'll eat yeah, the gummy bugs it's like yeah so you know of course she's accepted she lays down in the coffin they put some dirt over it then they immediately like dig her back up and let her out and it's like you're in the gang <laughs> no implication that any time has passed or anything i don't think it even cuts <laughs> it's uh, like all right yeah good enough yeah and so we we get some like flavor on the ranch uh sadie giving a bareback riding demo and like she's we we get a, just a bunch of POV shots of her whipping and like to imply she's whipping the horse, which Mary doesn't like. Right. Like all she's proving is that she can whip that horse, which is true, but she does yeah. it with such vim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she she likes likes her whips. Yeah, and it, like again, it helps that she's sort of like a, a cross between a Russ Meyer character and a Far Side character. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Uh, so Sharon flies in, uh, and this is also where we first see Lon Chaney Jr. Because you know, as the plane's flying in, it startles a horse. He's like crazy broads. Oh yeah. See, at, at this point, I thought I didn't understand his relationship to anyone, and I still kind of don't. I got the feeling they were squatting on his ranch, but he's. We very we very quickly see he's not in charge of anything. He's just there, like. He's their slave, basically. Yeah, he's kind of supposed to be the handyman. Uh, he's a former stuntman, and he basically is supposed to train the horses on this ranch. Uh, and it's interesting that he's a former stuntman, given that some of this was shot at Spawn Ranch, and you know yeah. how, how that's done with uh, how that's played with in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, and uh, what? Yeah, that that is interesting. And I believe, didn't they, like, actually kill a stuntman? They at, actually killed a stuntman. Yeah, um, that as well, at Spawn at Ranch. At one point. So yeah. Just, uh, you know, all, all these weird little things going on here. But uh, 
Lon Chaney, his voice is just destroyed by his alcoholism at this point. Like it, it is hard to understand him at times. He's like, us girls. I thought he was doing a voice. Yeah, he's just ruined. Like he's yeah. like he's very drunk. There there is a point later uh where he is just drinking on on camera and oh yeah very like, real. that is not water in there no uh <laughs> and yeah him greeting the new girls like oh new girl he's <laughs> like oh yikes come yeah, on jeez yeah. uh and you know he tells his story uh and he also tells them about Sharon that she's back from Europe and she's totally in charge she's extremely wealthy and she's a junkie Oh, yeah, right, right. <laughs> and she says, you know, she's back from Europe. She was dating the Grand Prix champion. Right. While she was in Europe. Uh, and they're all immediately like, oh, we, we got to go take a trip down to Mexico. We have our own little private fuck town there. <laughs> um, well, they do, though. <laughs> they do. It's bizarre. <laughs> yeah. So, um. Most of the runtime of this movie is two, one of two things, either horses riding uh, or people fucking in the sawdust in this one place in Mexico. Yeah, there, there's a, a lot of nudity and sex scenes, and they all kind of feel detached because a lot of them were insert shots shot, shot later. Uh, yeah. Because uh, the lady who played Sharon uh, did not do any nude scenes, but she's in a lot of these. Uh, she was very surprised to see nude scenes in the movie when she saw it. <laughs> oh, so it's like, that... what? I didn't shoot these. Bizarre. <laughs> she brought her kids. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Which, oh, I mean, no. she did know she had scenes where she shot up heroin. I don't know. Maybe. Well, she she, eh, I don't know. Hmm. But so I, I guess that that wasn't a big deal. Uh, but th this is that scene. Maybe it, that was also in pickup shots because it's the sex and shooting up with heroin sequence here. Oh, right. Yeah. Which the, may uh, also be why it's hard to tell which who the girlfriend is, because a lot of it is body doubles. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. we, we just have a long body double sex scene. Uh, I'm just I'm just imagining that like it's like hey taking my kids to my movie hey that's not my uh body well I, I think she like literally said to them that is not me <laughs> uh she yeah she, she mentions it in the interview on the desk uh and I mean like she definitely knew that she was a, a heroin addict as her character because she mentions that as kind of one of the things that just like wow what a crazy story that she's this uh, lady pilot who like flies in and has a ranch of uh, bad girls and is addicted to heroin is like super wealthy. Like, yeah, that rules. <laughs> I wanted it sounds like a, with that plot. That sounds like a, a fun life until it isn't. Yeah. I mean, the, the heroin is the big problem as yeah, Lon Chaney um, identifies as, as well. We've all seen Requiem for a dream. Oh Yeah. Never again. I don't know. I might watch that movie again sometime. Uh, I watched that movie a lot of times in a bad period of my life. I was just always yeah. depressed. Mm. So they they go to Mexico on horseback and they find that there's some guy who's 
put up a little house next to their favorite crossing spot. He's got a fence. And, now, uh, they, I don't see why they can't just go around. They could definitely go around. Uh, it's just like a big open space. There's, you know, no, no fence or anything other than the little one he put up. But They uh, do say that they can't go around, though. But they go, but, they do, like, they literally go around and, like, go and attack him and hurl racial slurs at him for a while. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so this is the first time that they ruin this man's life well this and, one uh, no, destroy his livelihood and burn everything down they don't really do much here here they're just cursing at him but they threaten him it's like you better be gone when we come back and he should have been gone well yeah um but i, I was sure they burned down at least like a shed or something they were not there was here no the fr- no really? not okay. the first one okay. i i'm pretty sure it's the second one like on their way back they light a fire. Uh, but here, like, they're just like, you better be gone. Uh, but here they're mostly threatening him. And I, I do feel that he really should have been gone. And even if not this first time, the second time, he should have just picked up and moved a little way down the road. He's squatting on land. Just move. Yeah, it. but he's this already is... built a house. Sure. But, like, is it worth the heartache? Ultimately? Well, the first time, if. See, that, so the that's first time, I yes. Thought, Second time, come on. Yeah. Come on, well, That's why I thought, like, they burned down his shit the first time. Right. Uh, no, no. Because, like, because I remember thinking, like, this guy absolutely should be getting the hell out of here. It's a slow escalation. He should have gotten out of there. Yeah. So they, they head to their little small town. They hitch up their horses uh, and... We meet Russ Tamblin. Denise sits in his lap and they're kissing. They've clearly got a past because uh, yep. she knows his name, Bill. Oh, I didn't know his name. <laughs> <laughs> Very simple names. Our guys are Bill and Jim. Uh, the the Jim is our, I guess, he he's our guy from the beginning who got shot. He is a nothing our basic Steve Alamo. Uh, he's yeah, he's just boring. Uh, I don't like him. I have some thoughts about him when we get to him later, but we, we he does. He kind of is forced to have a character just by uh, by virtue of interacting with Tamplin's improv. Yeah, and also with uh, just sort of the the way he is forced to be protected by Sandy. I I feel like. He also has sort of a weird character arc in this where he's supposed to learn to be a better person. And he says that he does, but it kind of comes oh, out of nowhere. Really? But yeah, okay, <laughs> we'll get to it. <laughs> All right. But no such thing with Bill. Uh, Bill is sort of <laughs> he's a scrub. He, he's, he, he, he is, is who TLC was singing about. He he's, is. We're going to see he's literally the kind of guy who hangs out the passenger side of his best friend's ride hollering at me yeah Yeah. (laughs) and i i don't know like denise is really into him uh she you know they this is one of the many sawdust makeout sequences the two of them yeah Uh, she's grody yeah this is a long sequence that ends in uh two people like getting into a fight over god knows what and breaking glass well, and so th- I think they're fighting over Libby because Libby's doing her dancing act, but she's also sort of doing a matador act with one of them. Oh, yeah, right. Uh, and the 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 drunk who's, 
you know, playing the bull. Uh, that's the cinematographer of the movie. Oh, cool. Yeah. So Denise gives Bill a map to the ranch. Very foreboding. Not a good Oh, yeah. And then says to him, like, hey, there's no guys allowed here, though. So be careful. If you're seeing, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. Uh, Sadie turns down a suitor. There's the, this little guy. He's like, your little match can't light my fire. Oh, my God. She just she's my favorite. <laughs> she's pretty great. She's really fun. Uh, so. The, right, the the bar fight kind of erupts over Libby. It's it's the two guys. There's the guy. It's it's basically two drunks, and she's doing the matador act, and they start fighting, and just turns into a whole knockdown, beat him up, stupid thing. So uh, something I pointed out in the chat, but uh, it seems like this type of place has a lot of uh, broken glass happening, flying around everywhere, and that's going to fall into the sawdust. I mean, it seems like there's a lot of people rolling around in the sawdust. How? But they go into other rooms, and it's not really clear if their other rooms are even other houses, because they're just not in the scene anymore. <laughs> they're just in another space that's kind of similar looking. Yeah, I'm just wondering, like, how bad do they get themselves cut up with the broken glass? Because you know they don't sweep that shit up. Well, yeah, not there, but they're not having sex in the bar room. Well, it looked like... On the first scene anyways, like when they first walked in, it looked like they were. Like it looks like the girl walked in, grabbed the first gross drunk she saw and like pulled him to the corner like super quickly. Like, all right, let's go make out of this uh, they, corner she pulled of the them floor. Into, it was another room. Oh, it was another room. Oh, OK. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, they, they you know, it, it may even be another house. I, I it's It could it, be. They they just cut around <laughs> it really fast. It could be, even be something they shot in a different town. The sex scenes and the action scenes are a little chaotic in this one. You can tell it's one of the earlier ones, and it's a little mm-hmm. choppy in places. I think especially the uh, main scene where they really attack the squatter. Uh, but we'll talk about that. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, they have the bar fight. Grace meets with Chico for the stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's, like... So, yeah, they get the they've got all this money from basically running drugs and somehow Lon Chaney's involved and supposed to be making a ton of money off of this somehow. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. He's he's the keeper of it for some reason. I don't really understand how he fits in. I think he maybe originally owned the ranch. It was like the ranch hand or something. And he's just kind of been kept on. Oh, kind of like the the actual guy at Spawn Ranch. Yeah, exactly. How he owns the property, but he ain't in charge of anything. Yeah, I mean, I know Quentin Tarantino is a fan of this movie, so <laughs> <laughs> there, like it's it, there. There's probably things that he's borrowing from it. Like he's oh, kind probably. of Bruce Dern's character. Uh, so yeah, Chico's like it's pure. I've tested it myself, and you know they head back. And harass the Mexican guy a bit more on the border. And they whip him a bit. And this is when they set part of the place on fire. Uh, yeah, they, they tie him up and drag him behind their horse. No, no, that's later. Oh, that. So Again, there's, another... there's a lot of times they meet with this guy. Again, they he should I... have left. OK, OK. So I'm so I was thinking they go back and forth was four times. It's the fourth time. I lost count after two because I thought they burnt <laughs> down the stuff the first time. 
no, then the no, second no. time they burnt down what was left and just no it was oh, the second wow. time that they only burned out a tiny bit and it's just so, like a corner of something this so this guy it's not like he has a zoning permit for just this one particular piece of land and he's not allowed to move anywhere else he's a squatter he could just go anywhere i like after the first couple times i'd be like okay you guys are this attached to this dumb piece of land, whatever. I'm going to go to that dumb piece of land way over there where you won't even see me, and that'll just be the end of this. It's not like he ever even has any kind of claim to it. It's yeah. foolhardy. I, I I, mean, I feel for the guy. He doesn't deserve to uh, no, get what no. happens to him, but uh, it was foolhardy. Yeah. And we have no idea what's going on in his mind because he has no dialogue. He is just abused to death. Yes. So uh, we we cut. This is where we have that scene of Lon Chaney just drinking straight from a bottle of vodka. And I feel like it's the realest, truest moment in the movie. <laughs> I think maybe he was just on the set drinking it and they just were like, hey, get this on camera. It's what it feels like, like just this sad sparkle in his eyes. It's very like uh, deep feeling. It's it's very upsetting almost. Just like this yeah. weird moment. Uh, and it's him prepping to see Grace because there's this subplot of him being hot for Grace. Yeah, he's hot for Grace. Now, I misinterpreted this at first because He's like, oh, when are you gonna? When are you gonna be nice to me? Oh, well, maybe Saturday. Yeah, and, maybe and Saturday thought, night. <laughs> and at first, foolish me thought it's like that she was making a joke, like hey, I'll be nice to you on Saturday. But no, it's a euphemism for sex that he made and that she understood and she agreed to with no intention to follow through. Yeah, and it's I don't. He's in rough shape. I don't know why he but he's feels like he has so a shot. Nice. Oh, man, well, that scene he, is sad, isn't it? Yeah. Later, well, like, when, yeah, when he he's the making bed so the bed. Nice and, oh. and I'm just like, oh, buddy. It's like, it's like you're on not Saturday gonna... night, I'm so excited. I was like, oh, dude. Yeah, and she's even like, Saturday, what are you even talking about? Right. And then he turns mean, but we'll, we'll get to yeah. that in a bit. Yeah. But somewhere, Bill and Jim are taking a leak. And <laughs> yeah, just drive out into the middle of the desert to take a leak. It, yeah, because I don't even know. Like. I don't know what they do or how they know each other because they don't <laughs> seem to be like best buddies and they don't work together because as he Bill doesn't work. <laughs> Bill does not have a job. He's like, here's the plan. I got this. <laughs> okay, I love this. His plan. <laughs> I got this map and we're, we're going to go sneak in there at night. But first I want you to take me into town so I can pick up my employment check. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So his whole plan is you're going to take me into town to pick up my unemployment. Then you're going to drop me off at the ranch and then you're going to pick me up when I'm done. Yeah. Just let me sneak into this dangerous ranch full of uh, women who don't allow men yeah. And Jim is like, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> but, you know, he goes along with it. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, there's this blonde lady who shows up in a very familiar convertible that we've seen before. Mm, yes. Yeah. 
Chekhov's convertible. Uh, she's just out of jail. She's been in jail for nine months. And is... Oh, yeah, I forgot about that because that doesn't really come up again. No, it doesn't come up. I don't even know the name of this character, but she kind of just shows up and everyone's like, oh, it's so good to have you back. It's like one of those side characters from the room. Yeah. And then they just don't show up again in any of the crowd scenes. Yeah, and then we've, we've got this weird scene where Monty's talking about his stuntman days to Libby and Sandy, and they're interested in listening to him, and Grace is just like, I don't pay you to talk to the ladies. Get at it. Go do some work. Here's some boots. <laughs> I don't I don't really get what her... Like, it. she doesn't want him to have any enjoyment at all or something. I don't really get it. I think that's it. what it is. It's like, if you have time to smile, you have time to... She, well, she's a, she's an employer. She's, a, I, I feel like she hates him so much, but like, I don't get why she hasn't just murdered him by this point. Well, she's, she's going to end up wishing she did. Yeah, and she's going to try to. Uh, uh, that too, that too. It seems for a while that she did. Well, but what she end up ends up doing should have worked it really should have because he does not look well enough to survive it uh but anyway jim drops off bill near the ranch that <laughs> night so he can sneak in but and like during the time of him sneaking in there's an utterly excessive nude scene in the shower just like oh, a series right. of people showering while he's sneaking around everyone's like you've been in the shower too long <laughs> i'm off screen <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you get yeah, told so, Denise, they sneak yeah. out to the barn, and Bill, or uh, they they sneak out to the barn, uh, and Sadie. Sadie. Them. Yeah. So, so I like the way that she handles it first because she first she says, "Hey Grace, we should change the rules uh, to allow men just, you know, make it maybe case by case." Yeah. And Grace is just like the thing is. The, the way she frames it, I find totally unbelievable. Because the way Sadie has been coded up to this point has been very queer. Like she's, well, the one yes. who, she's the one who referred to Sandy as the morsel uh, and how choice she would be. Uh, she's, she's had a bunch of lines like that. She was the one who called, said, your, your little match can't light my fire. Well, yes, yeah. Um, and she's like, you know, I like this place pretty good, but... There's one rule I don't like. Like, there's only one rule. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. no men. It's like, no men. It's like, I don't know if I believe that you have a problem with the no men rule, Sadie. <laughs> really not the impression I'd gotten up to this point. Well, the way I, the way I kind of see it is she sees them running off and then she's like, OK, well. Oh, yeah. Last second. Are you going to change the rule before I have to turn these two people in? I don't even know if she's I, I feel like she I don't just think wants she's, to tell. She's I just so. having fun with it. It's just I, I feel like yeah, she no, could have I mean, picked a more totally believable way of going about it. <laughs> I don't think she cares. No. And maybe she's just a dom. That's her thing. Maybe. She she just likes to be a dom. So uh ultimately uh Grace is like, Well, so far we've kept it. And Sadie's like, have we? <laughs> she's just like waiting for her moment yeah she's like well, i don't know maybe you might find something interesting in the barn grace goes to investigate and of course yeah 
finds them uh, making out in hay in like a stable. Ew, I've been in a stable. Ew. It's like nobody fucks in a bed in this movie, I don't think. Uh, the when they have oh, no, heroin, yeah. they do. Yeah, with the heroin, they do. Yeah. So... <laughs> and Chico does. Chico oh, yeah. does later, like in a, one of my favorite comedy moments of the movie. We'll get mm-hmm. to that. Uh, but yeah, oh, they're, yeah right. <laughs> they're they're in this barn having sex, and of course, you know, Grace shows up and she's got a shotgun, and uh, the girls all surround and beat Bill up, uh, Pug especially. Just like I hate men and like punches <laughs> him in the face. <laughs> yeah. Uh and Sadie like hits him with the butt of a shotgun. It's like, I think we should put the sign on him. <laughs> and she's so really this... driving all of this stuff. Oh yeah. No, she's she's having fun with it. Like she's the power behind the throne. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, that that's that's kind of like how I, I wasn't expressing it that good, but that's kind of how I felt like she was uh, approaching the when she found them running into the barn. Yeah, she's having like, fun with it. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. Grace brands him. They they have a cross and they they brand him right on the forehead. And this is interesting considering Manson, you know, cut a. a an X and, and turned it into a swastika on his own forehead yeah. shortly after this, like when after he was on this, trial yeah. during the trial. I wonder if he was inspired by this movie in that well, way. He could have been, he might've like seen it, but God, but then his acid addled brain just thought that he made it up himself and combined it with like a bunch of other shit that he saw. Yeah, I mean, he may have been on set for some of these because they they did say that they had to take him off set because he was making yep. people uncomfortable. Yeah, so, so he, yeah, he might have seen this. Fascinating, but yeah, it's it's a pretty good effect. The branding. Yeah. Uh, it is. The next day, Grace tells Sharon that uh, it's time to go pick up the rest of the drugs tonight. But like, Monty knows too much. Monty uh, being Lon Chaney's character, yeah. and. Like Sharon's like, look, I started this place because I needed the smack and you needed money. Uh, And sort of implicitly, it's like, you got to get rid of Monty. There's and I don't really get what they're keeping around for. That's never really clear. Yeah, I don't know what purpose he's supposed to serve because they hate up the the legitimacy of the. Oh, my gosh. The legitimacy of the horse thing. I guess maybe. Maybe. But who's coming but they out seem here? To know, yeah, that too. And they seem to know how to handle the horses and not really need him. Yeah, and he just does not seem like he's able to do a lot of handiwork. I guess, like, technically, the character is supposed to be not as fragile as he self-evidently was at the time. Well, it's weird. Yeah. It's it's hard to say this. Nothing about this character makes any sense. No, nothing about it. But like Grace agrees, like she'll get rid of him. Uh, and then they they ride out, and the Mexican squatter appears to be gone when they go through. Oh yeah, like, that's oh, right. He, he yeah. wised up. Good. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So it is four times because yeah, there was those two, and then this. The next time they are really comes... pissed that he's back somehow. <laughs> Somehow he's back. 
I wanted. Like, All right, I took my shed away and then I put it back. I like. I I want to believe that they just like forgot and took like a different path that they used to take. And it's like, know, oh, he's not here. <laughs> maybe he did. Maybe he did move, but they didn't know what path. Like they just happened to find him again, taking a different path, and he's just like, come on, you guys. But like. I, it it does make it kind of especially funny that they're so pissed off this time that like he is back. Oh my god! <laughs> well, they had barbed wire. Yeah, he, or, or he, he he had barbed wire. By the time they come back, he's by the put time up they, a barbed yeah. wire fence. Yeah, and they're not there very long. I mean, it's unclear. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is a weird one. But yeah, yeah. Because this is the one where, like, they go into town and they're doing all these horse riding tricks and races. And it's this sex game with horses. Oh, yeah. <laughs> where oh, they, yeah. they race and then they all pair up. Oh, God, that reminds me. I I forgot during the branding scene, he, he cut away to, like, an extreme close-up of a terrified horse's eyes. Oh, yeah. It's like, it's like right out of the – it reminds me of, like, the ring. It's so good. And they do another shot like that uh, in the next scene with the Mexican that I thought was really yeah. funny, too. Uh, but, yeah, uh, so they, they just have this whole weird scene where they're, you know, they're racing horses and they all pair up and someone like voiceover narrates what they're doing because it just is not clear and it still isn't. <laughs> yeah, uh, that whole scene didn't register for me because it did not appear to have anything to do with the plot. I feel like they were shooting them literally horsing around uh, <laughs> <laughs> horsing around uh, right they're you know they're they're just riding horses back and forth in their little mexican town uh set i guess it's just an actual little mexican town or something yeah actually that might be spawn ranch i don't know uh but you know they're just racing back and forth and they're playing around and i feel like you know they shot some b-roll footage of that and it's like hey we could just make this a scene with the voiceover or something <laughs> And then, yeah. you know, they cut in a bunch of sex scenes. Of course. Where you don't see anyone's faces because they shot them later. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Grace goes to make the heroin pickup and Chico tries to get with her. Oh, yeah. Okay, right. Yeah. This, this is, is that moment. Just like, ah, Chico, go back to your puta. And it's just hilarious. <laughs> zoom out to reveal that he's literally already in bed with a naked lady. <laughs> Yeah, he just, like, lifts up the covers. He's like, all right, well. Fair enough. It was amazing. I, I, yeah. I, I totally didn't expect it. Like, huh. I, I don't even think it's supposed to be a joke, but it was really funny. No, it's funny. That's, that is funny. But they head back, and they find barbed wire fence across the trail, and, oh, man, they get mad. Oh, disproportionate retribution. And this is one that's really chaotically shot. And my favorite is, you know, when they start burning stuff, there's a smash zoom into a cow turning its head towards the camera as a reaction <laughs> shot. <laughs> so good. <laughs> oh, man, I love that. It's like something like out of a Raimi film. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <sighs> now I'm imagining this if Sam Raimi shot it. Oh, it would be pretty wild. <laughs> I don't know if it'd be if it'd still make the movie any good or not, though. I don't know. 
so they they wrap the guy up in barbed wire, yeah. obviously, and, and Pug drags him behind a horse, and they set the whole place on fire. It was like he 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 really had it made on that third time when he was not there. Yeah, um, coming back and putting just... up that fence was a bad idea. Well, they must have. Yeah, I guess they must have just uh, happened to go through when he was uh, out at Home Depot. I guess so. Uh, yeah, bad idea. Uh, does not work out for him. I mean, like no. I get standing your ground and all of that stuff, but like you don't have a legal claim to this land. Just save yourself the heartache, man. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Uh, pick up presumably eight acres over there that way yeah. down the road. Probably not even that far. Just you know, get out of the way. Yeah, maybe. Don't deal with don't deal with the drug smugglers. This is uh, gonna always get your head cut off. So they return, and it's Saturday night. So we see Monty very excitedly making his bed, and it's pretty sad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He puts so much effort into it. The sheets are freshly ironed. It is by far the nicest looking thing in this shit storage shed that he appears to live in. It's still like this kind of shitty cot, though. Like it, it does feel oh, no, it quietly is a sad bed. in every way. Yeah. Uh, it's just he, yeah, but he like freshly ironed his shitty sheets. Yeah, and he's so excited that like this is definitely going to happen, and he's like, you know, this isn't going to happen, dude. Oh my yeah. god, I don't want to see it happen. Ew. <laughs> And go back to holding tiny little puppy dogs in your hands. That's his very last performance in Dracula oh, vs. Frankenstein. That's, that's the last the... performance he ever did. Oh. Uh, so Libby and Sandy talk about they got to be back in Vegas. I think Libby especially is like, I'm going to be fired if I don't go back to work tomorrow. Oh, oh right. <laughs> so, so they didn't quit their j- day jobs to do this. <laughs> yeah, I guess not. They're just taking time off work to have some female empowerment. Like, or I'm just imagining like this all takes place over the course of a weekend. I guess it's so. like all right. Well, we had our um, we had our feminism thing back to back to work. It doesn't seem like a lot of time is passing, but it's never clear how much. No, no, not at all. Like, maybe we don't know if we don't know if uh, she's been there for a week or six months. Or I figure it can't be more than like two weeks. And I'm thinking like think so. Yeah, a week, right? Because like like Libby hasn't had a chance to, or not Libby, Sandy hasn't had a chance to adjust to commune life yet right so also they're, they're gossiping about the gang and how sharon funds everything it's, it's funny how they always call it a club this is our club mm. right sharon funds this club and we we learned that grace used to be wealthy like she was a rich kid but her father was cheated out of their fortune somehow i assume he bought a bunch of gorilla nfts Mm, that'll do it yeah <laughs> like a oh. hacker stole them <laughs> i just put i don't know what it is i just put my password into the site that the guy told me to put my password into and now all my apes are gone someone heisted these apes and th- this is how sharon and grace know each other they go way back because i guess they were both rich kids together 
<laughs> so one invested in heroin and the other invested in gorillas. Yeah. Uh, and she, we, we get the scene with Grace meeting up with Monty. She's like, I changed my mind. <laughs> well, like, <laughs> like well, you can't, can't do that. He He's very upset. And like, she oh, yeah, he him. goes full like incel mode. He gets really bad. I it it's sparked when she pokes him with the cattle prod. She's always carrying this little cattle prod. She pokes him with it, and he gets really mad. He blows up. Oh yeah, yeah. He he basically loses his shit, and she he, uh, he manhandles her a bit. He demands fifty percent of the profits, and just like yeah, I I agree. I apologize, uh, or I agree, and he immediately. He's like, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. And he kisses her hand. <laughs> oh, He's, God. It's, it's an alcoholic performance. Like, the, uh-huh. the huge mood swings, they're very distinct. Like, he, he just goes through a lot of big emotions in a few seconds very quickly. Yep. Um, is this where she hammers him? Yeah. He, she's like, okay, you just open up the trunk so we can get that stuff. Like, maybe he's the only one who has keys to the trunk or something. He's yeah, or he's the only one who knows the combination. Maybe. Maybe. But yeah, she hits him in the head with a hammer and ties him up behind a horse and has him dragged off just like the Mexican guy. And we are to presume that he is dead. Um, yes. That is a very reasonable assumption to make. I feel that he could not survive even the hit in the head with a hammer. Like he is yeah. not well. He is not a well man. He's no. visibly not a well man. No, no. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like he could not survive the getting tied up part. Never mind the dragging. Very possibly. And meanwhile, we get Jim commiserating with Bill over his brand. <laughs> and so I have a theory about this scene. Okay. Uh. Russ Tamblin had lines in this, but he I, just, I agree. But he just decided he's like, I'm just gonna look real fucking scary. Yeah, because uh, Jim's gonna... acting really feels like he's expecting uh, he's expecting Bill to answer him. Yeah, he, and he's just like, kind of prodding him along. Well, what about the the next plot point? Yeah, he's got all of these lines of dialogue and Bill just the whole time, he's just looking at himself ominously in this shard of mirror, which is also a really great choice that it's just a piece of broken mirror. Well, it's beautiful because you can see him like in his facial expression as he slowly becomes the Joker. Yeah, he he is totally becoming the Joker and he's very menacing, just silently menacing. He steals the scene with he no dialogue <laughs> like he is motionless he is just sitting there looking at himself kind of just moving the mirror around a bit uh and jim is just talking away and it's totally meaningless <laughs> <laughs> yes but yeah i i feel like he was originally supposed to have lies but he just decided no i'm gonna do this instead i totally believe that yeah i i think and that's Adams is like oh wow this is way better than what i wrote well, yeah, like Adamson was always cool with that. That's what Tamblin liked so much about working with Al. It's like, I'm not going to use these lines. These are not good lines. I'm going to make my own. It's like, sure, I'm into yeah. that. That's great. You're you're a star. Well, didn't he like in the documentary, like the when Tarantino first meets him, he 
he starts quoting a speech that uh, Tamplin improvised. Right, yeah. I think that's from the Satan Sadists one. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, he's doing a lot of heavy lifting in this film. He really is. Uh, and he's so good. He's so good. And, of course, Jim ultimately gets sick of talking to himself and he goes to get some water and bill steals his truck <laughs> steals his truck <laughs> he's just waiting for the moment <laughs> he's so, my God. he just takes his truck and drives away <laughs> and me, <laughs> well it's, it's so funny because like he gets down to the line of the water and immediately like he hears the engine starting up <laughs> like whoa <laughs> yeah so oh come on uh, and meanwhile sandy is out riding to do some soul searching and we learn in voiceover that she decides to leave the gang and right. i i guess i i feel like all of her voiceover is stuff that's added later and oh, here yeah. it just kind of like she she mentions just a little bit later that she decided to leave the gang as well so it's like why why did we need this? We we could have gotten that when she talked to Bill. Yeah. Or demonstrated it by her saving Bill. Or not Bill. Um, <laughs> Bill, but, Bill yeah. has nobody to save him, I'm afraid. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's scrub. <laughs> <laughs> so he sneaks onto the ranch again. And he goes after Grace, which is Grace's in the barn. And, like, it's... The closest we get to kind of uh, an exploitation rapey scene, because he does start to pull at her clothes. Yeah. And he, he bites her on the breast. Oh, yeah, that's right. Like, a, <laughs> like a that's big, a big choice. Like drawing blood. Yeah, there's a mark of his mouth on her breast for the rest of the movie, which is amazing. Uh, but Sadie and Mary show up and they rescue him or they rescue her. Uh, pull him off, and Grace fucking puts a pitchfork through him. Woo! Through him. It's a very good effect. Yep, it really is. And he he just falls down. And I'm, I don't know why I thought he was going to somehow get up. Because <laughs> it, it kind of feels Michael Myersy at this point. Kind of, yeah. But, or, or, or Jokerly, because he, right. sold, he sold the scary in that previous scene so well. Yeah, and you know, he's got he the cross kind of on his forehead. He kind of looks like a horror monster at this point. But he is a scrub who had to steal his friend's truck yeah. to get here. Yeah, uh, but yeah, the port pitchfork effect is really amazing. I really like just they, they show one piece or one tine of it through like the lower side on one side and just kind of show it from a, 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 a pan. This is really well done. Yeah, no, it it looks good. Meanwhile, Jim wanders his way up to the ranch looking for his missing truck. <laughs> the fact that he's able to find it, like these guys, do these guys just live in the desert out of the out of his truck? I wonder. I have no idea what he does. Like, I don't know how they know each other, what their deal is. We know nothing like, about Jim. No, nothing at all. He <laughs> does thing not like about... women very much. The only thing we know about Bill is that he's not employed. Yeah, he is not employed. And uh, he is a strange man who's very angry. Uh, so they, Jim finds the body in the barn 
right away. Like he he somehow makes a beeline to the barn and finds the dead body and they all surround him. They tie him up to a post. And Pug's suggestion is like, okay, well, we'll put them both in the truck and roll it off a cliff. But oh, right. And then Libby's not into this. This yeah. is the limit for Libby. It's like, I'm going to call for the police. And Grace punches her out. <laughs> Yeah, the last yeah. time we see Libby in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and somebody else is all like, man, I don't want to turn this into a triple murder. That's a little bit later when they're uh, caught up with the flashback. Oh, right, right, okay. Uh, my my favorite line here is when, uh, uh, when Grace shouts, Mary, get me another bra, hurry. <laughs> <laughs> So then Sandy comes back, too, because she's been out soul searching during all of the chaos. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. And she finds Jim and she frees him and they take off in the convertible. And oh, my God, we're caught up to the flashback frame. We're finally caught up to. Uh, um, yeah. So now we're we're with them in the cave. We're at 75 of 84 minutes when we catch up to the flashback. Very unnecessary. Yep. So they leave the cave and head back for the car, which, uh, yeah, wow, it was a really good idea to go to this cave in the first place. Well, you have to have somewhere to tell a flashback. And it's so weird. Like, this is the, the thing about the flashback thing that makes it the strangest is when we cut back to it, it really loses momentum in a weird sort of way. It's like, oh, I guess we'll go back to the car. And we have... <laughs> All of the horseback girls splitting up into groups in like multiple different scenes of them lost or looking for them and not being able to find them. And it's like, I despite I guess the fact that they seem to know that they went into this one cave. Yeah, we had that whole like the plane was circling overhead the cave and there's like, oh, they headed for that cave. And like, it looked the like they were converging. outside the cave. Yeah. And then like we we cut to these scenes like, I guess they didn't know where they were and nobody knows where they are like it's just people looking around and it's like we're in the last nine minutes of the movie what's going on <laughs> well five of those nine minutes is them riding around on horses yes uh jim is like every girl i've known only had had only one thing in mind what she could get i was like wow settle back easy there jim <laughs> uh, uh, yeah he, just because has, you have the truck doesn't mean you're not a scrub. He he. I, it seems to be his arc that he's a misogynist and he's learned his lesson from this whole ordeal because of Sandy's charity to him. That seems to be what he says is his thing. It's like, I don't you you don't exist don't as a character, believe, dude. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I don't believe that you had an arc. You had some exposition that got ignored by the other character in the scene. That's all you've done. <laughs> You're a damsel in distress, my man. <laughs> true, true. Uh, and like just all through this, we have the girls just looking for them. <laughs> they they go to some falls. Jim and Sandy get some water. And this is when we cut to Denise, uh, who was into Bill. That She's like, things have gone too far i'm not riding into a triple murder for anybody and she leaves and like grace considers shooting her but is like nah 
Right. Okay. Yeah, that's what it was. So, like Grace <laughs> aims the gun at her while she's riding away, and then she just lowers it. And it's like, ah, I guess I'm not going to do that. That would be stupid. <laughs> like, how is that going to work out for me in any way? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just another body we got to hide. And there's like a weird bit where I think both Grace spots Jim and Sandy, but I think Pug does too. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I don't really recall how we get to the end. Yeah, it's just kind of not resolved. We see them spotting each other because, like, there's sort of this mishmash of sequences of them looking for them and them trying to get away, but it's never clear how anyone relates to anyone else in space. Yeah. Um, eventually, somebody corners uh, Jim and... Grace. Uh, yeah, Grace does, yes. Yeah, and she she's about to shoot Jim... When she herself is shot in the neck. Now, oh my God, it's Monty. It is Lon Chaney Jr. Back from the dead, half dead from a head wound and half dead from alcohol poisoning, doing a shot that was considered an incredibly difficult shot in the movie we watched last week about people shooting real good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but this guy is a better sharpshooter than freaking the man with no name apparently i guess so and he's just ragged and bloody and <laughs> he's like well, you, you shouldn't have done that miss grace and he like sits down and dies and it's the end of the movie <laughs> <laughs> yep. i was like wow this was a strange way to end this thing wow <laughs> like he, he'd been away for so long that i i mean it's it's so right to assume that he would be dead from what happened to him and how he has been through the entire film. It's like, I don't think a strong breeze would be good for this man. <laughs> but it turns out Lon Chaney Jr. is like a Terminator. I guess so, until like he just drops dead and it's over. <laughs> <laughs> a yeah. uh, pretty fun time. What, what do you think of the female bunch overall? Well... Russ Tablin is a freaking genius because he so understood – he knows exactly what kind of movie that he's in and knows how to make it work. He he matched – his performance matched the role and matched the movie, matched um, – he wasn't trying to be bigger than the film he's in. <laughs> he, no. He was, it was just – but he's so, so good. good. Like, yeah. Like, like I say, he's – got maybe 10 minutes total of scream time and he's by far the best thing of the movie but it is a fun movie uh it's got problems like it's, it's got it's, some problems it's, the editing is a little funky uh yeah. i don't know how much of that's from this being kind of cobbled together from different sources there may be some uh, pieces kind of missing uh yeah or it might just be like that it might just be like that. Uh, and, you know, again, just from the process of it being two years from when it was shot to when it came out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So with that in mind, this is replaced with psycho a slash fiend with the electronic brain slash blood of ghastly horror. So this is a weird thing with this this next disc. They're all. So I thought those were made slightly differently to be three different movies 
well, quote unquote different. So the first one is Psycho Agogo as it was originally shot. This was the movie that he was trying to release. Like this is maybe his first movie, like 65. Okay. And Feed with the Electronic Brain, they went back and added some stuff with uh, John Carradine and made it about an electronic brain. The first one, it's just right. he's he's a psycho killer. Okay. And they added a go-go dancing theme. Right. <laughs> uh, so they, you know, Fiend with Electronic Brain, they couldn't sell that either. So they also added, I think, a werewolf or a vampire or a zombie. It's a zombie, I think. Right. I remember this story from the documentary. <laughs> and that's the blood of ghastly horror. So I figure when we do this, we should do two of them do psycho agogo and blood of ghastly horror and okay. kind of contrast them because we can't do all three of them there's no way but it's more and interesting to kind of look at them yeah. together and we shouldn't take a week for for each one of them either yeah, yeah no <laughs> no uh, you're and, right we should do it that way yeah so i, I figure it's psycho agogo and a blood of ghastly horror when we get to the next one here yeah because uh, if i recall for Blood of Ghastly Horror, they took out some of the Psycho Agogo stuff to put in the other stuff. Yes, quite a bit. Or something. Uh, it's it's very unrecognizable. It's a totally different movie by Blood of Ghastly Horror, and it's it is interesting to watch all three with the interstitial of part of how it got there because they take out a lot of stuff from Fiend of the Electronic Brain for Blood of Ghastly Horror too. But it's it's a whole weird thing. Anyway, uh, any last thoughts on? The female bunch before we head to our second film. Yeah, what happened to I guess we don't know what happened to any of the girls. No, I um, like Brace most got of them shot. Just, uh, Pug seemed to be seeing someone in the like I, I thought she spotted Jim and Sandy as well. But then we just don't see her again after that. Uh, I don't know. I guess everybody just left once Grace died because Grace just kind of was the one who was. Kind so of holding guess, this together. She was the really angry one. Yeah. I, I guess Sharon just completed the drug deal, took the money, and that was that. I suppose so. She's presumably yeah. just out of there because she doesn't want to deal with this nonsense anymore. Maybe. Weird. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> weird All right. movie. Weird movie. Uh, it doesn't totally fit together great, but, you know, it's 84 minutes and they, they pack in a lot of exploitation flavor in that. It's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a fun 84 minutes. Indeed. All right, so uh, on to our second film. And we're back for our second feature. We're talking about the great 2021 film, The Green Knight, directed by David Lowry. So this is my first time. At, well, obviously, it's my first time seeing it as a fairly new film. And most of these films are my first time seeing them. True, but true. Uh, this is a very different um, version of the story of uh, of Sir Gawain than the one that I'm familiar with. See, my version, the one that I had grown up with, uh, the Green Knight, uh, shows up about halfway through season one, but he's been brainwashed by Rita Repulsa, so he has to uh, fight the other Knights of the Round Table uh, with his giant dragon robot, and eventually they're able to brain break the brainwashing spell and then he joins the knights of the round table but right he, right but 
Uh, now he's suddenly no longer strong enough to take on all five of them at once. He's just another one. Uh, none of that is in this. No, n- none of that is in this because that's uh, the Power Rangers, of course. Uh, this is an adaptation of uh, uh, an, a, chivalric an, a Middle romance English. Is yeah, what a chivalric romance in Middle English. Uh, this is thirteenth or sorry, fourteenth century uh, contemporary with Chaucer. Uh, the Canterbury Tales era. Uh, this would have been, yeah, this would have been way before Shakespeare. Yeah, we're we're looking at like a couple hundred years before Shakespeare. Uh, it's it's not English, like it's not modern English. It's Middle English. Yeah. So as distinct from Old English, which is like what Beowulf is written in, and that that goes back about three hundred years before this. But. Right. Uh, I, I studied this one in high school uh, uh, and I think also university. So I'm actually pretty familiar with the original source material, and this is quite faithful to it. Oh, okay, cool, cool. Uh, it, it's mostly faithful to it. It it uh, does a lot of stuff with the ending that are very different and, you know, a few details along the way. It's much more psychedelic, but kind of appropriately so because this is sort of uh overlapping with the magical world that's sort of really key to how this movie mm-hmm. works it's a, a strange mood it is um like the whole thing feels like a dream or a trip and the ending kind of implies that it might be one maybe because we we do see it's never quite clear when we are in a dream sequence and when we're not, except for a few points where it's obvious where we are because he dies. Yeah, well, it's like we're we're in a legend. Uh, we're we're in like all of the imagery is so stark and iconic, especially when we have like King Arthur in the opening scene uh, with uh, it's Sean Harris who. I, I mostly know from Mission Impossible, he was the villain in a couple of the Mission Impossible movies. Oh, okay, okay. And he's got a real, like, angry face. So it's interesting to see him as King Arthur and supposed to be this very gentle, aged king. Yeah, this is very different from the King Arthur that I'm used to seeing. Um, well, a couple of interesting things. I don't think he's ever referred to by name in this. No, I don't believe so. Um, intentionally, because uh, the opening narration says, this is not the story of the king. This is a story of someone else. So they did, They don't name any of the other knights, although you do see their names flash by in each of their unique title font uh, really quickly at the beginning before I could possibly read it. Mm-hmm. But like none of them are really in this. Oh, like, no, they're that, not sort in of this. Not the they're point. not characters. Uh, the king is only even there just to send him on his quest. Yeah, and and that's true of the original text as well. Like they're they're not it, it's not a story of anyone else. It's the story of Sir Gawain, who's the youngest of the knights of the round table. Uh and maybe sort of an apprentice knight at this point. That's uh, the feeling I get. Um he joins after they've already got some good deeds under their belt, just like the green uh the green knight in my tale of uh Rita Repulsa. Yeah. Uh it's it's a thing where like where uh the the this is sort of like a later addition to the canon of the knights of the round table uh so you know it's it's one of the he's kind of a fanfic character sort of thing 
uh, who's well, who's, I think <laughs> who fights I think a monster? Kind of a, yeah, yeah, he he does. He fights he fights a monster. And you know, in in the original version, it, it is a monster. Like he's he's a giant, and he's supernatural in many ways. Although uh, it's got a different ending reveal that sort of ties into some other stuff. We'll talk about that when we get okay, there. Okay, yeah, I'm curious how the I'm curious how the original tale ends then. Hmm. So it's sort of a Christmas movie at first. I mean, it takes place in Christmas. Um, in they the... <laughs> Middle Ages Christmas seems to be very different from uh, the Coca-Cola Christmas of the 20th century. It kind of see it kind of reminds me of uh, the Fraggles Christmas. Honestly, it's just, we have this one stone that we give to someone, and then next year we give it to someone else. Oh yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yes, kind of. But yeah, I mean, Camelot is not very glamorous here. Like, it's dark. It's just lit by candles. It It's very realistic, but also kind of, like, heightened. Kind of a silly place. Well, it's not a very <laughs> silly place here. No, it it's, actually isn't. It kind of it kind of looks like it sucks. It's spooky. It, it yes. looks intense. Uh, the... Just the constraints of chivalric honor seem very weird and like you have to do these sort of mind bending things at times and you're expected to be perfectly honorable in situations where it will only get you killed. Well, the, there is no practical purpose for his quest. It's just for honor. There's, well, honor and an axe. Yeah, but he's like going to give it back. Like he gets it for a year. But oh, he, oh, that's how it is. I thought he got to keep the axe afterwards if he did everything correctly. No, I think he gets it for the year. Oh man, he did not make use of that. Yeah, and at the end of the year, he, he well, so yeah. <laughs> I, I think in the original, it's New Year's Eve rather than Christmas. But oh, okay, they're you know they're they're doing this thing, and a monster shows up. A a, a big old tree monster yep um he just walks in he's like i am groot uh no but he's he doesn't speak at all he needs to uh he needs to be talked through kind of a letter interpreter uh because all he knows how to say is i am groot. no <laughs> but he uh i think that his that Gawain's mother somehow summoned this creature for some reason. Yeah, so we see her doing some kind of a ritual right now, but it could be that she's trying to protect her from it. It's sort of weird because in the original version, this isn't this character is not his mother. It's the sorceress Morgan Le Fay. Well, uh, it's implied kind of here too because he says that Gawain is. Arthur says that Gawain is his sister's uh, right. So I guess they Morgan's supposed to be the sister. Yeah, I guess so. Because like, so I I guess that is who that's supposed to be. Yeah, in in the original tale, in the original tale, they have no relation. It's it's just like her playing a trick. Oh, is that that makes more sense than what really happens, unless. There's something to her motivation in this that I didn't see. Well, I, I think it's just a matter of protecting him. Like, it gives her more of a role as a protector rather than being uh, someone who is just here for deceit. Uh, it, it gives her more agency and makes her a bit more compelling of a character, I think. Like, that yeah. that's sort of the thing about this is it's not 
purely an iconic tale. It's looking at the iconic tale and putting it in sort of a very realistic way of going about it, but still having all these bizarre magical things happening in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, I think that's sort of what's really interesting about it is it's, you know, going about this tale, but it's telling it totally straight and it's telling all of this stuff, but it's showing things going in a weird psychedelic path. Like there's a part where he takes mushrooms and trips out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he just eats some random mushrooms he finds. And I'm like, oh, man, is he going to start tripping balls? And then he trips balls. And that's what leads to the end of the movie, notably. Uh, I but, didn't make that kind of, hmm. Okay, <laughs> anyway, well, we're going to talk about that. Yeah, so our, our monster shows up. And he's got a friendly game. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a game. It is just a game. It uh, is just a game. So he's got this axe, this this big rad hero axe, obviously. Yep. Uh, it's got magic powers that we they're never explained, but we we see that it has magical powers. Yeah, and he's like, "Here's the deal. I want one of you to hit me with a blow, and." One year from today, I will return the blow. For a year and a day, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and King Arthur's just like, oh, well, you know, I would, but I'm too old. Someone he too else old. wanted... He is too old, but... Like, I, Sean Harris is not that old, but, like, he makes King Arthur look like he's Lon Chaney in our previous movie. Oh, like, Arthur he, looks, he looks like fragile. He's, I was... I was actually like paying attention to their faces because I thought they were aging slowly as the scene was happening. <laughs> like especially the the queen as she was reading the letter. Right. And, and they just and then I just realized no, he just they just he's just old. He just looks like that. He looks like he's going to keel over at any moment. Yeah, and like Sean Harris isn't that old. He's just playing it that old. It's really yeah weird uh and like good makeup too but yeah uh they're he's like ah i'm too old to do this and the none of the knights are interested either or like he's just kind of looking around for someone to to join them yeah so uh gawain volunteers and it's it's interesting like he he does it does feel like he's been pressured into it Whereas yeah, I feel um, in the original, he's supposed to be a brash youngster who's like, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'll show you. I'm going to be the I'm going to be a knight of the round table. Yeah, he he does feel like he's pressured into it because right before Groot shows up, um, they're like saying like, hey, you're going to become a knight. Tell me one. Tell me some of your great deeds. He's like, I don't have any great deeds. And the queen's like, I, huh. you don't have any yet. Yeah, and then like don't right then. Yes. Right. And they basically said, hey, like, I could just imagine them giving him these glances like, hey, you wanted to have a heroic deed, right? Right. This is one. Which, again, there, there's nothing of that present in the original text where it's just, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go on a heroic adventure as a knight. Uh, but, you know, he, he he steps up to him and, like, he presents his accent like, oh, you want me and and he like leans down to have his head chopped off, which again, none of that is really necessarily present in it. I don't think. Or no, no, he does bare his neck. I guess that is the intent. But yeah, but 
the way the way he framed it made it look like there was going to be a fight and it's like if you hit me then i'll return right. the blow later but that's and, and that's what gawain was expecting too because he's like come on get up fight or or i'll hit you first and he's just he doesn't know what to do with this guy who's basically bearing his neck to him after challenging him and i guess the idea is you know uh, the the chivalric thing would be to just like hold the blow and give just like a tiny nick or something or just like whatever yeah uh, and that seems like the easy solution to this problem or if you're not believing in magical things and think that uh, you can defy the Green Knight. Maybe you just behead him and get that sweet axe. Hey, man, it seems like a good idea. Um, so so uh, the Green Knight agrees because he thinks it's hilarious that he got his head taken off as he picks it up and Gawain has got the most incredible oh no, I fucked up face. It's it's a really great shot. Of, like he He picks his head back up and is like one year it's it's like the ring <laughs> yep it's exactly like the ring but it's See you in one year yeah and he leaves cackling carrying his own head out while gawain's like i am so fucked and and there's like this as he and everybody the reactions of everybody around after he took off the guy's head i thought they were like it had this look of he wasn't supposed to do that is kind of the vibe i got yeah, I'm not sure. Like, they all seem sort of shocked. But at the same time, after this, he's sort of a hero for it. Like, everybody's like, all right, look at these. You know, he he's a big adventure hero. He's the man who slayed the Green Knight. Yeah, they, they've got a puppet show that they uh, that they keep coming back to. And he like he does have the axe, which is like a trophy of the battle. And it does kind of give him this status. And yes. it's sort of weird, like he spends like in, in sort of montage, he spends a lot of the year being sort of a celebrity, like a minor local celebrity. Mm-hmm. But uh, the title of this section is called The Too Quick Year. And mm-hmm. we, we are already we spend about two minutes of that year. And then we are the time of him to go on his quest is at hand. Well, the quest is the main or the quest is. Yeah. Yeah, the the quest is like the main thing that we're watching in this movie. Uh, And I like the way this movie plays with time, especially because time is very elastic in the in in this tale. And you have these moments where like this whole year passes in a couple minutes. And you'll also have sequences where an entire lifetime passes in a couple minutes. And you'll also have moments where just one moment stretches into infinity. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um, yeah, it, it it feels like it plays with time while, like, like the way a dream would. Yeah, well, like, even in this opening sequence where you just have these faces in the dark and them saying these lines and it just, it feels so otherworldly and dreamy. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so after, uh, we, we catch up to him after... The, the montage of the year that he spent stumbling home wasted with uh, the king is waiting for him in his house. And I at first I didn't recognize him because he just he looks like he's just wearing like a little bathrobe. But they just didn't have fancy uh, 
because they just didn't really have super fancy clothing back then. No, I mean, it's, you know, it's the medieval times. Yeah, Things are. weren't all that great. Uh, yeah, it wasn't a great time to be alive. Yeah, I mean, it certainly uh, wasn't a great time to be non-royalty. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> Being oh, a yeah. peasant wasn't the best. Yeah, so the king's all like, hey, so you're going to go to that chapel and face down the Green Knight, right? And he's like, wasn't yeah, it just a game? <laughs> and the king's like, like well, yeah, but it's not done. Yeah, you you need to complete the game as <laughs> a knight. Finish it, man. Come on. And Gawain's like, well, well, what do you think? He's just sitting there in a church this whole year waiting for me? So the king's like, I don't know, LOL, you tell me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, he kind of probably is. Uh, yeah, as we'll, well see, he we is. find he's... out that is exactly what he's doing. Yeah. So he sets uh, out on his quest. Although first, he is given a he green is given belt. A, a green belt uh, from his mother. Uh, she put a rune thing into into the belt that's supposed to protect him. As long as he wears that belt, no harm should be able to come to him. No physical harm. No physical harm, yeah. Which, actually, you know, that seems to hold up. The only time he gets into any trouble is when he loses it. Mm-hmm. But he loses it. He loses it a couple times. He does times. lose it. Um, he talks to his girlfriend, too. She's trying to talk him out of it. And he mentions, like, this is how you become a great man. And I like her line. It's like, why do you have to be great? What's wrong with being good? Mm -hmm. But this is an examination of that chivalry yeah. ideal. Like, th this is about masculinity and honor. Yeah. And, like, what do those things mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, this, like, aside from the honor thing, this whole challenge is just kind of pointless. And that's, it's it's interesting because it looks at that. Yeah, and it's like, what's the point of dying for a thing like this? And he gets the fame without yeah. having followed through on the whole thing. Like, he spent a year living off the fame of this, which is... Yeah, of the thing well. that he ha yeah, hadn't done yet. Of the thing yet. that he's gonna do. Yeah, supposedly. Supposedly gonna do, yes. Um, so, the next section is called The Journey Out. And I like the shot of him riding out from the city. And it's just... We only see the front of him and like uh, like we see the kingdom behind him over his shoulder. There's like children and it's just a long shot of like like some of the ruined buildings, uh, the castle, the sheep coming by. I would have to say I like every shot in this movie. This is a movie wow. that looks incredible all the time. It's, it's just so beautifully shot and uh, very expressive. Like every image is very distinct. It when feels, I can see it, <laughs> it's it very is. dark. Yeah, it's, it's very, very dark, dark. But uh, it, it helps to watch it in a dark room, uh, and yeah. it's like, it's it's just uh, it, it uses primarily natural light. You don't have a lot of uh, Hollywood lighting. It's just yes. kind of yes. very stark landscapes. Uh, but everything looks striking. Like it looks like a piece of Renaissance art. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So. As he's journeying, he's flashing back to his girlfriend, who is basically like, hey, make me your lady, um, be my man, and he just does not react. Like, and then, uh, thing and about then it is, like, I gotta go on this trip, babe, you know? <laughs> and also, I'm gay, but we don't know that yet, and I'm tiptoeing around it. Maybe. By the way, 
Yeah, maybe. Well, maybe. It's not, you know, it's not confirmed. See, this is another thing that is actually straight in the uh, the kissing stuff. We'll, we'll get to it. Okay, okay. Um, so uh, he... He takes he takes the right hand fork at the uh, once you get to the skeleton in the cage take the turn right. Oh, that skeleton in the cage! That's great. That's like something yep. out of like a recurring nightmare I had as a kid. Um, that was like just I I saw that and it's like this is pulled from a nightmare I frequently had as a child. <laughs> so intense. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> uh, and then he sees a quick brown fox jumped over the dead body with the arrows. And that fox is important. The fox, the is, fox uh, is very important. Um, really cool character. Back. He gets to talk later, too. Yeah, talking I, fox. I think the, the the fox talks after the mushrooms, but I'm not sure. I believe you are correct, but, uh, well, we'll, yeah, we'll see, see in the notes here. Yeah. Uh, so the next section is called A Kindness. And a lot of, my, a lot of what I've got written in my notes is, and he rode his horse. So he's riding his horse through um, a battlefield where everybody, like, just all these corpses everywhere. Just this blasted wasteland. There's smoke and just corpses. And I guess this is sort of what it was like when there were huge battles in this period. Like, yeah. was who was cleaning that shit up? Whatever. Nobody was. Nobody well, lives what? where the battle is. Yeah, no. <laughs> and if they did, they don't anymore. No, they're dead now, so there's just, like, corpses everywhere. And I guess that's why you see things where people, like, find all of these skeletons with guns in or with, you know, weapons in old battlefields. Because they just left them there. That's crazy to me. Well, he – well, it's crazy to him, too, because he's talking to a local scavenger. He's like, well, how come nobody's burying him? He's like, who's going to do it? Nobody's left. Uh, the the scavenger uh, is Barry Kagan, who was uh, uh, George, poor George oh, in poor Dunkirk, George. who who just wanted to go along on the ride to help them people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, poor George. Uh, great performance, uh, great memorable, interesting character here. Quite menacing in just like a quiet. Like, he he doesn't yeah. have power. In terms of his position in the world, but like he is uh, a menacing, low-powered character. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, they're they're talking about like the battles and how nobody buries him and how he makes his living scavenging, and he basically gives Gawain directions uh, to a chapel. <laughs> yeah, he knows of a chapel. He doesn't necessarily know that it's the Green Chapel, but I, I, I think when he spoilers uh, ties him up and steals all his shit later, I think he does say that this is all the Green Chapel. Oh yeah, that that's what he says. Yeah, he yeah. like the forest is the chapel. Yeah, according which. That could just be him saying it, or it could be a true thing that he knows of, because I kind of get a feeling this bandit might be supernatural as well, maybe. Well, it's also suggested there that everything that is within the forest is an aspect of the Green Knight, and all of this is sort of a test for Gawain, and these are all just sort of a a number of chivalric romance, uh, things that he needs to pass to uh, qualify as a knight. 
And that's more clear in the original version. There, There's a reveal at the end that ties a lot of this stuff together. It's okay, not present okay. in the movie. All right. Um, yeah, so he gets... Uh... So he gets directions to the chapel and the kids really uh, – and he's, he's just like, all right, thanks, buddy. Peace. And the kid's like, are my directions not worth anything to you? And he's just – first he just shouts and he's like, no, my thanks. And then the second time, the way he says it just like stops him in his tracks. Yeah, he's like, where is my tip, bro? <laughs> Basically, like I just freaking saved your quest, dude. Although not necessarily, because well, he, he was headed actually. for the forest and he would have found the forest. But yeah. it's a chivalric thing. Like, you're supposed to leave a you're, tip. Yeah, he's basically like, dude, you're this freaking wealthy-ass knight. You got nice shit. Look you at this. know I'm a scavenger. Look you at that s- awesome axe and that sick sash yep. you got. I'd like that sash. I want to have that sash, maybe. <laughs> yeah it's like i know you got money i know you can spare a little bit for me so he gives him a coin he's like fuck you dude yeah he's not happy with the coin he didn't want the coin he wanted the sash yep and oh yes that's something that i didn't pick up on until towards the end everybody who he encounters is trying to get that sash away from him except someone um, who's trying to give him a new one which is also tied into it yes um, so he goes on and, uh, we see a silhouette of, I thought it was a cat girl, <laughs> but it turns out it's just somebody with a hood that has cat ears for some reason, whatever. Ahead I'll take of their it time. <laughs> I want a cat ear hood for real. They exist. Cool. You could get one. I know. And I just haven't done it. Uh, but yeah, so turns out these bandits were working with the scavenger and, uh, yeah, they tie him up. Uh, and ride off with his horse. Yeah, and this is where they say, uh, this is all the Green Chapel, bro. Uh, yeah. And he dies. <laughs> he Yes, uh, he dies. We have this beautiful uh, 360 pan- panorama shot of the forest that's like, it's just this long shot, and like, it just slowly gets more and more green, so slow that you're almost not seeing it. And then when he finally rotates around to where he's tied up, he's a skeleton. He's just dead. Uh, It didn't work out. This was the bad ending. This was, as a matter of fact, the bad ending because after the lightning, uh, after we hear some lightning, we cut back to him very much alive and struggling in the ropes. Uh, Manages to cut himself free. But what I really like is like how when they were riding away with the horse and everything – how quickly they just basically turned a corner and like just the way it shot, you can see he is never going to find this horse in this forest. It's just gone. It's just so big and there's so much. He's not finding it. That horse is gone. Yeah. Like I really like the denseness of the forest and just how real of a forest it is. It doesn't feel like an art directed movie forest. It's just, I mean, we're in the middle of nowhere and this is, this is the 1300s, so you're not going to yeah. find something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's no guarantee. There's no – you're not going to get to the park ranger's office. Yeah, but he does come well, across he does a, come across. a house. Yeah, so this is the next part, a meeting with St. Winifred. Um, He finds a house that appears to be abandoned, and he's like, 
goes to take a nap because, God, he has been through some shit. He's been through a rough time. Yep. Uh, but he is awoken by a woman and he's all and she's like, what are you doing in my house? And he's just like, oh, uh, uh, shit. Sorry. Look, I I thought I've was, been through some shit. <laughs> I've been through some shit. I thought the place was abandoned. I'll get out of your hair. Don't worry. And she takes him to this uh, spring or stream or something it's like this is where my head is. Yeah, she's like, I I just need you to go get my head. Actually, she she tells a story about how this Lord went into her house and tried to rape her and then cut off her head and toss it in the river. And she's like, look, I just need my head. And he he says, so will I in a few days time. Yeah, it's like he can he can kind of vibe with her her problems. Like, yeah, I mean, I might have to deal with this in the future. I really probably should help her. Do you think the Lord that she refers to is the Lord that he meets up with in the castle later, or Who did knows? this maybe happen in a previous century? A pre, it could be a previous century. Because I mean, she it is could just. Be... She is a ghost, and there's it's yeah. just a skull that he finds in the spring. Or it could be something that didn't happen at all, and this is just NPC dialogue for his uh, quest. It is a side quest, absolutely, and yeah, yeah. it's it's a literal side quest. It is literally, um, and he's like, he even says like, "Hey, what do I get for completing this quest?" And she's like, "She's offended, dude. I am a fucking ghost." Uh, who had an evil lord cut off my head and throw it into the river. I have nothing. Yeah, aren't you a hero? You're supposed to be a knight, dude. He's like, yeah. okay, you're right, you're right. Yeah, Her, the, the exact quote is, why would you ask me that? Why the? Why would you ever ask me that? Yeah, and, he's and like, it's great. He's like, yeah, yeah you're right. I, I'm Good. a knight. He's like, and, he's having a bad day, too. <laughs> but as we see so far, he hasn't been particularly knightly. No. Um, not particularly heroic. Uh, but here he does. He does go down. Uh, and it gets trippy here because it's all red. Yeah, he dives into the spring and it's like the water turns to blood. Yeah. Uh, he does grab the skull. He finds it pretty quickly. Yeah, and, uh, and he gives it back to her, and she's whole again. Yeah, well, well, first uh, he sees that she's not there, and the fox is there instead. Mm-hmm. But uh, and the skull in his hand turns into her head, and he, and he drops it on the floor, and she's like, "The Green Knight is someone you know," which. I just realized that doesn't get resolved. No. And see, that's sort of a weird thing is that in. So spoilers in, I guess, kind of not in this movie, but the original version, the Lord of the castle is the green knight. Oh, he is. Oh, okay. Uh, He transforms into him through magic. Uh, So like all of the stuff that happens in the castle and all of like the, the sort of goings on with the wife, those are all part of his like test for him. Well, I, I kind of feel like the bandits and the ghost were too. 
Yes, absolutely. In in this yeah. version, I feel that certainly they are. I don't think the bandits are a thing in the original one. I don't recall whether or not the thing with the head is. They kind of just generally say like a bunch of different adventures and stuff happened on the way. And then he got to this castle, basically. Okay, well, well, I mean, one way so to show us in. that he went on a bunch of adventures is to yeah. show a couple. It's yeah, maybe he went on a whole ones. bunch more. Yeah, but in this case, it does seem like, uh, per this version, they're all supernatural elements coming together and creating these tests for him. Like, the cathedral, the forest is... Uh, generating this magic and it's sort of the the trials he must go through yeah yeah so um so yeah he he reunites the head with the body and and uh he is free to journey on his way now we now we are at exactly the halfway point and we have an intermission well they call it an interlude but it's it's not an intermission it's a continuation of the story but everything Every two-plus-hour movie, in my opinion, needs – even if it's just like a screen that says interlude, just needs a break. Just give me a break. Give me time to go to the bathroom. Don't make me have to worry about uh, where to pause or or if Tony Stark is figuring out time travel, if that's the time to go to the bathroom. Just give me a little break. And they do. Uh, so – here he is wandering alone through the mist and takes shelter in a cave. Uh, the fox – oh, the fox is at the entrance to the cave, and he throws a rock at it. Yeah, but then, like, ultimately he lets it come and get warm with him, and it sort yeah. of becomes his companion, uh, which is also something that is uh, unique to this version. I don't think that was a thing in the original. Uh, okay, okay. Um, oh, so the fox has not talked yet, and here's where he trips on them bad mushrooms. Okay, so yeah, it's the next morning, he trips on the mushrooms, and then he goes to the castle, right? Uh, yes. Uh, no, no, here's where he finds the giants. Oh yeah, the giants, that's right. Yeah, so he, there's these, I don't know what they are, but they're really weird, they're like... They're giant people, uh, bald, naked humans uh, that speak weird language. And they're like gray. They're they're sort of uh, – they don't have a lot of features, and they're yeah. just kind of eerie. Like they're, they they kind of blend in with the sky too. And you just see like this huge plane of them walking, uh, and yeah, it's eerie. Uh, and it's sort of a mushroom hallucination, I guess. Uh, probably, but it might also not be. And he's like asking them for directions, too. Or maybe it's like, maybe you could carry me there. <laughs> yeah, so it looks like the giant goes to pick him up and then he flinches. And the giant's like, OK, well, I guess. I'm All old. right, dude. Fine, fine. You can walk, too. We're, we're walking. It's fine. It's not too not too far. But like the flinching is important. It's it uh, kind of key to uh, how he reacts to things. And, and that's really key to the original version. The flinching is not OK. Oh, OK. Um, all right. We'll have, we'll have to get into that. Uh, yeah. So he's following behind the giants as they're just getting further and further away from him. And now the fox leads him to the castle. 
Mm-hmm. And the Lord of the Castle is Joel Edgerton. He's a weird character. I I feel like I've seen him somewhere. I mainly know him for being he was Tom Buchanan in the Baz Luhrmann Gatsby movie. Uh, he's in lots of stuff here. Let me see what else I know him from. Uh, he was in the remake of the thing. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> he's in bright. Did you watch bright? I did not watch bright. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, he's, Oh, he's uncle Lars in the, the prequels and, Uh, In like that current Ben Kenobi series. You know, I thought he looked like a Star Wars. Yeah, so he is he is Owen Lars in all of those. Okay, okay. That's been his Um, gig since the aughts. Yeah, so we find out that it's uh, that in this house, the hunter guy is like super happy to see him. And there is also a hot girl and a blindfolded old lady. Yeah, the uh, this, wife. Yeah, is, the wife. Uh, the, 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 the hot girl is his, the Lord's, is the lady of the castle. The lady, yes. Yeah. Um, and this section is called, I couldn't read the calligraphy, so it's an exchange of mommies, whammies. I have no idea what it's supposed to be. Uh, I don't remember. That's all right. Um, yeah, so he's, we find out that it's December 21st, so he's got a few few days and we also find out that if this hunter is telling the truth which we later find out he is uh that he's only one day away from the chapel yeah it's just a couple miles off so it's like hey you just stick with us spend christmas with us hang out hang out with us man and he he does a deal much like the green knight likes to do these deals like i go hunting every day i'll give you whatever i catch but anything you get from the castle, you got to give to me. And he's like, well, frick, I'll take this deal. Sure, why not? Because what could I get from the castle that isn't yours? Yeah, he's like, like, that's eh, weird. Sure. So this is in the, the kissing thing, right? Yes, this is the kissing thing. That's um, what that, that's like the thing he gives him back because the lady kisses him. And yep. he like courteously uh, does not sleep with her. Like he he's he like resists her advances, but she does kiss him a couple times, and that's all yes. he'll allow. So he gives the Lord back the kisses. But you know what? She gave him the belt. Uh, uh, right, because and he lost his, he lost his belt to the thieves. Well, so that's she key. Gave, or he took it from her rather. She gives it to him. Yes. Uh, it, it's it's a gift uh, for, like, uh, what, what she wants. Like, she's, you know, trying to get with him and stuff. And yeah. he's he he does want that sash, even though he, yes. he's... But, but this is sort of the, the main crux of the original thing, is that the Lord... He does give the Lord the kisses back. Yeah. And is, he's given, you know, various hunted animals. Uh, uh-huh. But... At the end, he he is worried about his life, so he doesn't give the sash back. He he doesn't tell him about it. He gives him the kisses, and then he leaves. Yeah, which is yeah, what he does. That's, that's interesting because they, 
I they don't really mention about this about like how he took the sash out of the castle. I actually kind of forgot about it until I looked at my notes. Right. Because the Lord doesn't bring it up. But the thing about him giving back the kisses is an interesting element because that's so alien to a modern audience. But it, oh, it's yeah. like such a simple chivalric thing. But yeah, it's it it really it, it has a different color to the way the movie plays out because you'd never see this in most movies. Yeah, yeah. And he's like he basically says like uh, it's like oh, I know what you took out of the mansion and I bet I can take it from you. <laughs> like uh <laughs> it's very charged yeah yeah it's it's a very interesting scene mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah and also he has captured the fox but he hasn't killed it and he gives him the fox back when he leaves yeah, yeah. um yeah and this, so this is when the fox talks it's yes right around here uh where the fox oh Right, there's this bit where the the lady of the house is like, why do you think the green knight is green? And my first thought, of course, is, oh my god, you can't just ask someone why they're green. Mean girls? No, that's okay. I've never seen it. Oh, really? It's it's better than you think. Hmm. Uh, but, but, yeah. Uh, it Well, someone laughed at my joke, I'm sure. <laughs> It's it's a blind spot. Those, that's kind of like an era of movies that I uh, did not watch a bunch of those. And neither did I. I only saw Mean Girls like maybe a couple of years ago. And I was like, Holy oh. shit, this is absolutely not the movie I thought it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but then, and yeah, they do this whole like metaphor thing about what the different colors mean that completely went over my head i did not catch it you got you got that one right yeah i'm okay (laughs) okay (laughs) all right i had to save it um so yeah the the fox talks to him uh where is it the fox kind of lectures him (laughs) oh yeah basically it's like okay look if you turn around just you know don't challenge the green knight at all i'll just go home and just say you won i won't say shit right and he probably could because we do know that he spent that entire year partying because that's like hey you slayed the green knight good on you man you're the dude yeah and it's like yeah i mean i probably could just go back there and no one would care everyone would believe me yeah yeah and that sort of happens as well like we have another sequence of of this it's a lot like the last temptation of christ it's sort of folding in the last temptation of christ movie into the sir gawain and the green knight story because this is not a thing that happens in the original story okay okay the ending goes in a different way um but yeah he's all like yeah well i i i'm ready he's basically like saying yeah i'm ready to face the night i have to do this and the fox is like okay well then if you're not scared leave that belt behind right no he's like no i'll just hang on to it it's cool it's cool yeah um and now finally yeah he he chases the fox off he's like i never needed you to begin with i never liked you anyway (laughs) it's like come on you liked the fox go home the fox yeah uh, so he finally gets the chapel. 
Really cool uh, place. It's really eerie. cool place. Um, overgrown with uh, overgrown with ivy and branches and roots and weeds and stuff. Of course, it's like of this course. hedge maze that the Green Knight is sort of grown into. Like he is an actual functional part of the chapel. Like he he is a sort of the living heart of it in a weird sort of way. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so Gawain just kind of sits down and waits for him to wake up, which takes, it's a very slow process, him waking up. It takes like a full day. He's sort of an ant. Yep, yep, very much. And when he does, he's like, oh, hey, you're here. Do you, do you recall where you cut me? And I'm just imagining, well, like it's kind of a big deal. Yeah, I, I do, I do. It's like, and you're ready to get the same back? Like, he's like, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this feels like it's like from like one of those comedy things. Like it feels like a comedy bit. So he gets down, but it's not it's not played as comedy. This isn't a funny scene. It's played very intense. Yes, he get so he gets down and like like the same way the Green Knight did and. Uh, bears his neck and the knight takes the axe and he goes and Gawain just curls up he like flinches he's like sir you just flinched did I flinch when you cut my head off (laughs) he's like look well this was not in the deal I'm not ready yet it's like dude you had a year to get ready what have you been doing and so he's like, okay, okay, well, this is whatever. Let's just try again. And then so he goes to take him again. He's like, wait. And they do this like a few more times. They're like, wait, wait. And the Green Knight's like getting visibly upset. He's like, come on, man. Come on. We had a deal. I didn't flinch. I went ahead. You you cut my head off. We're fulfilling the deal. What are we going to do here? Why did – yeah. So he's like, no, man, I'm, I'm peacing out. Sorry. Bye. Uh, I can't do this. I, I suck. So uh, this is where it totally diverges from the original version. Or sort of. I mean, I guess kind of maybe the original version could go on after this. But here's how the original one ends. Okay. So he goes to the chapel. Uh-huh. And uh, first swing, Gawain flinches. And the Green right. Knight, you know, he makes fun of him. It's like, you you loser. Come on, did I flinch? Yeah, uh, and. Yeah. So the next time Gawain does not flinch, but the Green Knight doesn't do the full blow. And the Knight's like, just testing your nerve. And Gawain gets mad at him. It's like, you deliver the blow. I'm sick of this. And he does, but there's only a very slight wound on the neck. And uh, this is when the Green Knight reveals himself to have been the Lord of the Castle. He just transformed himself with magic. This was all just an adventurous trick. Uh, all, all of this was to just, you know, sort of test your mettle and everything. Uh, but we give you just a little nick on the neck because you didn't tell me about the sash. And he's like, yes, I'm sorry. I behaved deceitfully and... Uh, He's like, no, you're the most blameless knight in the land. And then everybody has to wear green sashes for the rest of time to commemorate his adventure. Like all of the knights have to now. I think I like this version better. 
Me too. <laughs> that feels too tidy. It's a little um, it's a little pat. It doesn't feel like like I, I do get that, you know, all of this stuff was part of the test against him, but <laughs> the supernatural elements of it kind of uh the, the way they build up in this movie, it doesn't feel like that would be that satisfying. Well, it, it does kind of end that way anyways a little bit, but first but just to imply it. Yeah. Yes, it really yes. only implies an ending. It it doesn't kind of have an actual ending. No. Or it has um, a couple. Well, it, it has Choose a your own adventure. Endings. Last Temptation of Christ ending. Well, so first we see what happens when he uh, runs away. Get all his skill checks. <laughs> so he made the wrong decisions and he runs away. Uh, we still have like 20 minutes of movie left. <laughs> mm-hmm. But we see. His the entire rest of his life go by, and he becomes uh, very successful because he does go and's like, "Yep, I beat the Green Knight. I'm a hero," and he sort of lives off that stolen fame. Yeah, so he it's not necessarily the greatest life. Like his girl, his wife is giving birth, and um, Alan Moore baptizes and kidnaps the baby or something. Uh, I don't know because now he's married different woman who i think is the headless ghost maybe. maybe like some of this other stuff may refer to other arthurian legend involving the green knight that i'm not aware of yeah. uh the later adventures of the green knight but um, we, we yeah, just see like, him become powerful like he he does become fairly successful he uh-huh. seems to have his own armies and stuff well, yeah he wins a war campaign uh, loses his son in the battle, mm-hmm. who just uh, became 16 off screen. Uh, apparently, there's a daughter or something. Like, it's all a very fast montage. It's, yes, it's sort of like yes. his hectic uh, and sort of hard scrabble medieval life. Like, you know, he has to become a knight and a warlord. And he's kind of doing it all on stolen valor. Yep. And like the last shot uh, of this version of the story, at least, is him just in the throne room, like just not the way he sits. Something about it looks so like just tired, vulnerable, weak. It's it's the I know that I'm lost and I'm waiting for death to come claim me sit. Yeah, it's like he he's lived this life and it has not given him any pleasure because he kind of sold out his life early. And it, it's 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 sort of like playing out this temptation as would it be satisfying this way? And we reveal that this has all been a flash forward while he's been in the moment of waiting for the blow. Yeah. So what he does here, uh, he's. He just goes, wait, and the guy's like, oh, my God, not what now? And he takes off the sash and is like, okay, now I'm ready. And the Green Knight's like, all right, off with your head. He just does a little thing with his finger across his neck. He's like, off with your head and smiles at him, and that's it. Well, I, I really like it's kind of an almost comedic uh, just punch ending because like yeah. you know, he he reveals he's like, all right, I'm sorry. I, I tried to deceive you. He's like, oh, you and then, like th- this is sort of the, you know, you very just, much uh, an OU. Kind yeah. Of 
And he's like, and you know, they have a little brief conversation about, you know, that wasn't very honorable, but I uh, thank you for being honest this time. It's like, okay. And he's like, ha you've passed the test. And like, oh, well off with your head. <laughs> and then yeah. the credits. Yep. Yeah. Boom. But Great. like, it's so good. Like, this is a really good movie. I, I never knew where it was going to go. Um, once I found out that the character can die and the story will still go on, but it raised the stakes. Yeah. Uh, great movie. Really feels like a dream. Uh, we didn't really talk too much about it, but the music's really good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Great score. Uh, and just uh, so incredibly visual. Like every shot of this is just beautiful and expressive. There, there's so much, uh, uh, atmosphere to every shot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I will say, like, do watch it in a dark room. It was yeah. still light out when I tried to watch it and didn't quite work out. Uh, yeah, um, but and and it's very psychedelic. So if you partake, it's also a good oh, way to see it. Yes. Although it's because uh, just the the visuals are incredible and it's just so uh, dreamlike and weird mm-hmm. that the following of it, it it's just so. Uh, mesmerizing well that's that's actually exactly what i went and did during the uh, interlude i just mm. paused it right there and i was like okay well let's all go to the lobby mm-hmm. but yeah Which it, it, every movie needs to do that but yeah <laughs> right oh yeah it's it's awesome it's such an interesting piece i i really like these movies that ha- have sort of been coming out recently it's, it's also true of like the lighthouse and the witch and possibly the northman the other one by that director uh, I that seen are any of those oh uh i haven't seen the northman but both the lighthouse and the witch are awesome and it, i i just like this thing where they are like a movie that was made in that time like they feel like they're really deep within the milieu of that time they don't feel like they're emulating it they kind of feel like they're in the magical way of thought that existed then um oh yeah actually that's 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 one thing I wanted to point out at the beginning that I forgot to. Um, one thing I wrote down as I was watching that I observed, King Arthur's accent is so weird sounding to me that it has to that I feel like it has to be legitimate. It could very well be like a Middle English accent. I, I could yeah. totally see Sean Harris doing that because I, I think he's a pretty serious actor. Yeah, yeah he seems like it. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a, that's a, I've never heard an accent like that before. That's. Really it's eerie. Like it's another thing that adds to the strange otherworldliness of the openings. The the yeah. opening is so striking with just all of these knights and this king in this weird, cold-looking, dark room, and just it feels like Dev Patel as Sir Gawain is in a nightmare. It's like he's shown up to night practice naked, you know? <laughs> Kinda does feel like that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's also interesting, like, because uh, normally in these in King Arthur things, you always have your just, oh, yes, your typical British accent. Well, no, the, the real ones are better, but I'm thinking Monty sometimes Python. Sometimes not. <laughs> I'm comparing this too much to Monty Python, and I shouldn't. True, but, like, honestly, sometimes not. I've seen a lot of really bad medieval films. Well, yes. <laughs> It's it's not the most uh, uh, robust genre. There's a lot of bad stuff out there. 
but this one is great and it's certainly the best modern one i've seen like in quite some time it's it's just so uh interesting in the vibe and just yeah. uh, the the details and i think the alan moore looking guy was supposed to be merlin maybe that would make sense because I, I i think there is a merlin character in this uh although, yeah. although it's morgan Le Fay is the mom character and she sort of is a different i don't know you know that, that's a different thing no merlin if it is meant to be merlin he's only in for like two shots and he has yeah. no dialogue and it's in the the fantasy future of the temptation well he also, also in the beginning when the knight first shows up the king looks oh, at him and yeah. he just kind of shakes his head he's there somewhere at the start yeah yeah, yeah so it's, it's pretty implied great. that he knows what's going on but mm-hmm. a lot of the mysteries don't get solved at all and i kind of like that because i guess back when this was written you just accepted that you just accepted the mystery well, I think it's not even a th- well. Part of it's that most of these don't exist in the original because uh, it's just he went on adventures and then he arrived at the chapel. It's there; these are them filling in some tonal adventures, but otherwise you have uh, the sort of puzzle of him dealing with the wife and the kisses and the yeah. exchange of hunted animals and stuff, which they only sort of do. But I like that they have it in there and that they play it pretty straight because straight because. <laughs> <laughs> Just that very weird kiss between the two of them that, like, it is a very intense moment that's just, like, sort of like, well, I, I know you took something. It's like, oh, yeah. Uh, and so they have this long, lingering kiss that's just intense because Joel Edgerton is just, like, frightening with it. <laughs> it's, it's so cool. Very interesting. Yeah, I, I like I like a lot of the side characters. Yeah, I mean, like, all of them are super well acted. They give them a lot of breathing space. Like, everything kind of is given its own space. It is episodic in that sense of, you know, a knight yeah. going on side quests. Well, yeah, exactly. Like, like there's no, you don't, it doesn't get messy with a whole lot of overlap. Like, the, the thief's side plot doesn't ever touch the severed head ghost side plot, which I'm glad the thieves didn't come back. They just yeah. had to be their little one note thing. Because I totally could have seen a thing where like you encounter them later in that like the what the thief seemed to be suggesting when he took off with the axe was that he was going to go off and become a hero and kill the Green Knight. But oh, yeah, the axe just shows up in the ghost lady's house and that's how he gets it back. Which suggests that he met with his own bad end somewhere. We just don't know what it was. Or he was a construct of the chapel and that he kind of just had to move this piece to that space so that it could be uh, continued on the quest because it's necessary for the quest. Or or maybe he was a construct of the chapel and this was just a test to see if he was going to spare a little bit of change in exchange for directions. Well, both of those things that yeah, like, no, like he's, it's, he, he, he it is, you know, it's it's unchivalric to not uh, pay for the, the information that he was given. So, you know, he, he gets kind of punished for that. But it's also the idea of like when he's tied up there uh, and this guy kind of takes off, he, he's sort of an object lesson of this failed adventurer who takes off with the axe and uh, just disappears from existence because <laughs> he was not ready for it. He's not a trained knight. He's not he doesn't have the ideals for it. Uh. 
I, I do kind of want to imagine that he went on like this whole thing of adventures before he met his before he met his end from some really stupid thing. I presume the Lord took care of him, and I I feel like maybe Lord Edgerton is also maybe the Lord who cut off the Ghost Lady's head, and that he's because he is the Green Knight in the yeah, original maybe. version, so he is maybe also eternal and another function of this forest. But there's a lot to play with in this because it's such a strange, magical uh, location. It's it's kind of like the forest in, uh, what was the one we covered from the folk horror box? Oh, oh. Eyes uh, of Fire. Eyes of Fire, yeah, with uh, the the reverend, shitty reverend guy. Yeah, uh, the, the same guy who was in uh, Redemption. Uh, it, oh, great. Right. It's got that kind of feeling of just this magical space. Yeah, yeah. Um, easy recommend. Oh yeah, it's it's incredible. It's uh, so worth your time. Like it's a longer movie, but you don't feel it. Like comparatively, I uh, watched the terrible 1998 Godzilla the other night, uh, which is I think two minutes longer than this. Uh, and uh, as one of the most popular reviews on Letterbox says, it's objectively the longest movie of all time. <laughs> An absolute slog. This went straight by. Well, it's it's only two hours and ten minutes, so I mean, in the current climate, that's not what you'd consider a right. longer film. That's more like true average. But at the same time, like I said, I watched a movie that's only slightly longer <laughs> than it, and it felt like <laughs> it was it feels... a goddamn eternity because it's so yeah. fucking bad. Uh, I guess we're going to talk about that in part three, aren't we? No, we're not, because no. I don't own that. <laughs> Why would I own that movie? I hate that movie. I saw it in theater when I was a kid and hated it. Then why did you watch it? <laughs> I don't know. I do these uh, things something to, to do. All right. Well, Monday night bad movie night. Oh, well, there uh, you go. Uh, a lot of fish. But anyway, uh, any final thoughts on the Green Knight before we move to our final section? Uh, no, I'm about ready to go. All right. And we're back for the third and final section where we talk about movies we've watched in the past week and decide what we're going to watch next week. All right. So I started with watching the rest of the Jason movies and sort of on a quest to rewatch all of them. And I finished those off. So first up is Jason X, which is bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's as bad as I remembered it. Uh, oh, this is the outer space one. Yeah, it feels kind of like a sci-fi original movie or a oh, fan oh. film. It feels like a sp- Boof movie more than it feels like a Jason movie. Uh, so it's it's another Elseworlds Jason, you know, as I was describing last yep. week. Uh, and this one's what if a Jason was alien? Because it's it's just alien. Oh gosh, okay. Like mashed up with aliens because you've got the space marines and stuff, but like you've got right. this Wayland Utani esque ship that finds Jason frozen. <laughs> and it picks him up and it revives him. And, you know, he goes on a killing spree through the ship. It's just alien. Uh, except in this one, the android, instead of being, you know, uh, Bilbo Baggins, it's this sex bot whose nipples fall off because they're just jewelry. <laughs> and, and she's the one who admires his purity. <laughs> yeah, Correct. It, happens, oh my God. <laughs> it, it takes place 500 years in the future. Uh, it's st- stupid. It's very stupid. Like the worst humor, just the shittiest humor. Oh, that sounds like fun, but like 
I feel like, is it fun? No, okay. <laughs> it really isn't. It's my least favorite of the entire series by far. Uh, all right. Unquestionably the worst. Uh, next up is Freddy versus Jason, which is probably my second least favorite. <laughs> it's not as bad. Uh, it's just, it's the new metal, Jason. You know, it's the new metal era. Oh, yes. Crawling in my skin. Well, that's that's Daredevil. Uh, but this, it's just... Ugh, it's... Wait, that's in the Daredevils? Oh, God. Yeah, it's from the Daredevils. <laughs> or, no, maybe... No, I'm thinking Evanescence was on the Daredevil soundtrack. Uh, yeah, Evanescence was. But, like, the big problem with this one is it's a Freddy movie and not a Jason movie. That's, that's mm. sort of a key problem of it for me. And Freddy is kind of too amplified, because this is, like way after the most recent freddy movie i think the last one for that series was like 94 with new nightmare and that and one wasn't one even came out 2003 oh wow that and it, it's sort of intertextual because like the movie is uh about freddy being like man i don't like that people have forgotten me and i'm not popular anymore <laughs> and it like i have no power as a demon because everybody's forgotten who i am so he controls Jason to, like, come to his town and kill some kids to make memories of him being this killer uh, start popping up so he can start entering dreams again and become powerful, which is kind of not a bad idea. That's sort of interesting. All right. All right. How does but, Freddy control Jason? I don't know. He pretends to be his mom. <laughs> oh, okay. He calls him a bitch. Because he calls everyone a bitch, like it's in almost every line of this movie. It's it's one of the things, like it's a very broy movie. <laughs> it's aged pretty bad. The dialogue's really mm. bad. There's that one character who is Jason Mewes, who's like playing, <laughs> who's impersonating Jason Mewes, and I'll never get over it. Uh, <laughs> Was Jason Mewes not available? <laughs> right. Come on. It's, Did Jason Mewes demand too much money? It's fake Canadian Jason Mewes, like TV Jason Mewes. <laughs> and like the thing that gets that, that galls me the most about it is they have this subplot of Jason being afraid of water. Which, OK, yeah, we've discussed this. <laughs> uh, we might have even discussed this on the show before, but that is absurd you've seen this whole thing (laughs) yeah you've seen jason takes manhattan you've seen the first one knowing both of those you know completely how absurd that is he is a water zombie the water is his home yeah it's 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 as long as it's not toxic new york water yeah uh so those are things about it that i don't like because i don't feel like they really make jason uh they, they don't really do him right uh, in those respects, although he is kind of the hero of the movie, ultimately, which is weird. OK, uh, there's just I don't know. There's some bad stuff. The The dialogue is terrible, but it's more fun than Jason X. Like, at least the, the humor in it kind of feels like it's part of the movie rather than it's making fun of the movie. Mm. <laughs> uh and there's a really great scene where Jason is on fire and going through a cornfield, <laughs> which is pretty rad. And he throws a flaming machete through someone. Nice. Uh, and also, I, of course, rewatched the remake, which I liked a lot more this time. 
I, I feel like it has a love of the series, especially when compared to just having watched those three New Line ones before it, because they're all pretty bad. I, I do feel like I, I might not, not have liked everything that they did in that movie, but I do feel like it was pretty respectful of the source material. Yeah, I think so. I think really the only problems it has is just the Michael Bayness of it, like where you just have some gross exploitation stuff and some dialogue where people are just yammering on about nothing that I don't oh, need. And also the whole thing of giving Jason like a house and a lair, which implies that he does other things in between killing, which is I don't like that. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of that, although I do. I, I am now firmly in the camp of what we talked about then, that uh, Jason, it's his weed, it's his grow up, and that it's bait to bring people out to murder. Yeah. I I, yes. I strongly feel that that's the case, because when that first group shows up, they're like, hey, look at this. The place has already been cleared. It's perfect. Yep. <laughs> anyway, next, <Yeah. laughs> next up is Savage 3. Uh, this is sort of an Italian clockwork orange knockoff, a plesiotesky, okay. and it's about these three dudes who work at a data entry company. And it's sort of like, you know, the the going postal concept of just like there's mm-hmm. the, the people who worked at these machines that just flash really fast and you, uh, and, and people have theorized that, that that's kind of what caused these spree killings. Oh, I There's just like, thought it was that they had to work in customer service, and this was just, uh, as someone who's worked in customer service myself, I just figured that, that they just they just snapped finally were doing the customer service thing. But yeah, it, I didn't know it was this. Well, I I don't think it's only that because, but there there was like particularly a spike of things where people had to look at these numbers and uh, uh, just constant changing numbers and that it sort of breaks people's brains after a while and this is sort of touching on that it's these dudes who work in this data entry place and they kind of go insane at night Hmm. uh and they're also football hooligans so there's that okay (laughs) it starts with them being football hooligans and starting a riot at a game and then they just kind of go on this crime spree for a while uh including you know, up to them murdering someone with a forklift at one point. Uh, it oh. gets pretty nasty. It's really weird. Uh, it has Joe D'Alessandro, who is a, an Andy Warhol guy, like part of the Warhol factory. I think he's in both Blood for Dracula and Flesh versus Frankenstein, or Flesh for Frankenstein. Okay. Uh, yeah, interesting. Very nasty. <laughs> cool, cool. Uh, next up is The Living Dead Girl. It's a Jean Roland film, so it's big on vibes. All right. Uh, it starts with these guys getting rid of some toxic waste. But while they're there, yeah, let's do a little bit of grave robbing while we're at it. Why not? Cool. Um, as you do. And there's a little earthquake, and it knocks over one of the barrels, and her opened coffin gets some toxic waste in it. She wakes up and kills both of them, obviously. Uh, and now she's a zombie. Oh, okay, right on. And she just like <laughs> she she needs human blood to sustain her, and she like goes back home to her house and she reconnects <laughs> with her best friend and her best friend totally supports her and she gets rid of the bodies that are there so far Aww, and she starts acquiring sweet. she starts acquiring more bodies for her. 
but uh our our lead zombie girl Catherine Valmont she just she doesn't like living this way she just gets really depressed about it because <laughs> oh. that's sort of the thing with all the genre lend movies they're about the melancholy of the undead they're like vampires who don't really like being vampires and they're just kind of bummed out about it oh. it's it's a really weird vibe but that is like the Roland thing I kind of dig it cool cool uh next up is dragnet I actually seen this on TV many times as a kid. Same here. Uh, And I hadn't watched in years, but it's uh, Pagan, P-A-G-A-N, the people against against goodness and normalcy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's basically QAnon. Uh, There's this priest played by uh, Christopher Plummer. He's a televangelist. He's secretly behind Pagan, and he's like trying to consolidate the porn business and the religion business and fleece everybody at both ends. <laughs> uh, Ackroyd's really great as Joe Friday. It's a very ackroyd movie. Some of it's too much. Like, some of the humor is just trash. <laughs> yeah, his humor is... It's up and down. It's a like, little weird. You you never know which way it's going to go, and sometimes it just... It's like, ugh, that was a, that was a bad joke. But... Uh, <laughs> I, I I like that it's actually in continuity with the original series because uh, he's the nephew of Joe Friday. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, Harry Morgan, you know, Colonel Potter on MASH, he was uh, Joe Friday's partner in the 60s TV series. And here he's the same character, but he's now uh, up to police captain. Oh, cool. Yeah. Then, of course, his partner is Tom Hanks. It's Pep Strebeck, who's a cool modern 80s dude and is just sort of a running commentary on uh, what a stiff Joe Friday is, which is kind of fun. Next up is The Black Marble, uh, which is similarly kind of uneven. Oh. Uh, so it's, it's, this, it's this guy who is a homicide detective who's just a drunken wreck with PTSD. Uh, he He's had some bad experiences in homicide and it's just kind of broken him right right and so he's moved to robbery detail and he's got this new lady partner played by paula prentice who is extremely abrasive uh and she's sort of a big problem in the movie i it's partly how she's written partly how she's played i don't know where the blame lies but she is an unpleasant character and it sort of never works with the movie because it tries to be gently funny when it's at the police office or police department but it's kind of also about like ptsd and this guy has some really deep monologues and we've got harry dean stanton as philo skinner terrier king who has stolen a show dog oh it's no like, he he's um he's someone who who does grooming for uh dog shows and stuff and and like presents at them and stuff and he sort of switches out dogs and he's <gasps> like holding it for ransom save the puppy uh there's some it, it's not super nice to dogs at times there's a couple things like that uh, uh but like everything with harry dean stanton just the atmosphere is so intense and deep and stuff that it really clashes with the silly shit at this police station <laughs> It's weird, kind of uneven, but interesting. Cool, cool. Uh, next up is Jaws. Oh, um, what's that about? Uh, you know, it's, there's this there's this shark, right? 
uh, and dun, dun. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's one of these, like, I, I love this movie. It's really fundamental to me. I watched it when I was really young. It's sort of like the first horror movie I watched myself because it's a daytime horror movie and it's by the guy who made E.T. Mm-hmm. And Raiders. I've actually never seen the original. Well, I don't, I've never seen any Jaws. It's like. Except for uh, the one where, uh, where it's, uh, what's his name, where he bites the uh the, the rope of the ski lift to try to kill james bond oh yeah different jaws yeah, yeah different uh, jaws <laughs> moonraker ah uh, uh, yes i this is one of those movies that while i'm watching i'm like is this the best movie ever made like it's it's just perfect like there's really never a wrong moment in it it's so good uh it looks amazing especially like there's this opening sequence with a shark attack and it's like black water just the cinematography is incredible. Like you, you get the sunset and then you get like this lady out in the black shining water of the sea. And like the effects are incredible. They, they, they're very subtle with them. You know, they had to use all practical effects. The, uh, famously the, the, uh, animatronic didn't work. So they mm-hmm. kind of just had to do different things with it and they okay. hide it. And it's just like, it's, it's absolutely amazing. Cool, cool. And of course, my thing is always, uh, I, I feel that all shark movies are movies about anxiety, and the shark is the anxiety attack. And there's like the, the perfect scene of that is in this movie where you have Roy Scheider on a beach and he's waiting for the shark to attack. He's like, he's watching, he's just on the edge of the beach, and there's just so much going on around him. And he just can't focus on any one thing. There's just so much noise and things happening. And it's like, we're, we're just watching a man have an anxiety attack. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I, I've never heard it talked about through that lens before, so that's interesting. Uh, but yeah, I, I love it. It's a masterpiece. It's one of the best movies ever made. I say it is Spielberg's best. All right. Uh, and last thing is... And that is movie's called Jaws? Jaws. Uh, Le Dante <laughs> à la Mer, Teeth of the Sea. Oh, my God, that's an amazing title. <laughs> <laughs> I love that French title. Uh, last edition is Santo and the Treasure of Dracula, which unfortunately is in a really crappy dub. Uh, I've mentioned this before. I got this Santo box set that recently came out. And, like, the movies look great. They're really nice restorations of the picture. But none of them have any of the original sound, and it's a really bad, recently recorded dub. Oh, ooh, that's probably not great. It's a big problem, because otherwise I think this would be a lot of fun, but it it definitely dampens the experience for me. Yeah, because I had been thinking uh, dipping a toe into the Santo series mm-hmm. a few times, but hearing that kind of makes me wonder if... Uh, I'm I'm holding out hope that someone will eventually put out the original language versions of them at some point. That would be nice. Yeah. But anyway, this one, very strange. It's it's a Dracula movie. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> and Santo, uh, the silver masked fighter, Luchador. Yep. Yep. He's built a time machine. Oh, cool. <laughs> which can send a lady back in time so she can hang out with Dracula. And they're going to watch it on a TV screen so they can, I don't know, learn about the past or whatever. <laughs> All right. And they want to get a hold of Dracula's ring and medallion. Uh, and silly stuff happens. Ultimately, they're trying to get the ring and medallion in the present. And 
they have to fight Dracula and his vampire brides. And obviously there are villainous luchadors, a father and son, who are also after the ring and medallion. And they have to uh, have a, a fight in the ring because <laughs> you can't have a luchador movie without one of those. God, no. It's weird. It's very strange. The time machine looks really funky. Uh, I really wish it was in the original language. I would probably like it twice as much. Oh, that, that, that's a real shame. Yeah. Uh, but those are our picks. What do you figure for next week? Well, I haven't seen Jaws. Um, somehow I haven't seen it. I need to. It's fundamental. So, yeah. Yeah, let's do that. Because, like, for me, you describe it as a masterpiece. But for me, my frame of reference for the Jaws series is uh, what everybody's been saying about the sequels, which are not liked they're trashy uh i kind of like them as well just for the vibes again it's the friday the 13th thing uh but uh this one is just great it's it's just a perfect summer blockbuster it it just every moment snaps i mean you know it's it's what created spielberg it's it launched the spielberg genre cool yeah let's do jaws then all right uh so we have just a couple quick additions uh Obviously, Friday the 13th, the original. I don't think it needs any introduction. <laughs> no, I think we've, we've talked about uh, the series a little bit. I'll, I'll, I'll probably watch it again before long. Uh, next is Like Rabid Dogs, which is from the same set as Savage 3. And it sounds kind of like the same plot. It's about three wealthy youths who are on a crime spree, the cop going okay. after them. Uh, I don't know, probably pretty nasty as well. Because Poliziotesky do tend to be. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have another Jean Roland movie, uh, The Nude Vampire. <laughs> oh, okay. So this one, there's an orphaned vampire, question mark, who this wealthy industrialist is raising in a hidden room in isolation. And they just like give her, I, I guess they, they, give her shots with blood like hooded figures so they, they she doesn't see people uh and because he's trying to unlock the secrets to immortality and then his son finds out about her and falls in love with her instantly and he teams up with a bunch of other vampires to rescue her <laughs> all right cool <laughs> sounds kind of zany yeah, uh, it does. And, and last edition is the love butcher which is like Steve Urkel slash Stefan Urkel was a slasher. Oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) There's this guy who's this meek elderly gardener, but sometimes he puts on a toupee and he becomes this suave, handsome Lothario who kills people. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. It's supposed to be really trashy, but uh, probably kind of fun. However, uh, this week we are choosing from the inactive stacks because of course I watched the last of the Jason movies. I want, I finished that stack, but of course that stack does not leave the stacks like Jason. It cannot be killed. It cannot be stopped. Uh, It'll it, just, it just come back eventually. Just, just keeps coming back. Uh, but this week we will choose from the inactive stacks. So what do you figure? Oh, there is a lot in here um, that I've been looking at, but what is the Hudsucker proxy? I've just, I've heard the name and I can't visualize anything from that name. So it it's is a, a Cohen's movie, right? 
Yeah, early Coen Brothers movie, sort of their version of the 30s screwball comedy. So you've got uh, Tim Robbins as the inventor of the hula hoop. Okay. And like he he sort of like he 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 moves up the company really fast. Like he's this young go-getter kid, and there's you know fast-talking lady reporter who's into him, and uh, he just you know he he gets into uh you know he invests he he invents the the hula hoop and becomes an overnight success and you know he deals with i think ultimately the market crash or there are some heralds of that because there is people jumping out windows later on uh it's very zany very heightened you know it's cohen's doing 30s screwball comedy but in the 80s Mm, all right um that sounds interesting uh Let's see. I see you've also got – oh, God, uh, Enter the Ninja is in is Enter in the Ninja, classic. Now, is that the one with the the best death ever? Yes, uh, that that <laughs> is just the, the classic uh, shrug death with Christopher George. Uh, yeah, uh, really so awesome 80s ninja <laughs> movie, like one of the key ones, one of the best. Yeah, right on. Um, oh, hey, I actually – I'm seeing one – the safety ta- test taste safe what is this oh my gosh no i don't click on an ad get out of here safety last safety last. yeah uh, kind of the the most definitive uh comedy by uh oh uh, uh harold lloyd uh oh, and cool. it's he's this guy who uh is working in a department store and he is sort of hated by his bosses and he's trying to impress his girlfriend uh and he ends up climbing up the side of the building because there's this human fly and he just sort of ends up taking his place uh and (laughs) the the amazing thing is that they just had him actually climb up the side of an actual building in this movie so like the stunts in it are like unbelievable because you know it's all just done real Oh my you know, God. It's the 20s, and he yeah, was they, a physical comedian, so he does yeah. physical comedy. Yeah, they didn't really invent as many special effects back then. So the the thing you see on the, the cover where he's just hanging from uh, a clock, they did that. Oh, my like, God. 100 feet up in the air. Holy shit. Um, well, I think this is going to be the oldest if we decide I, – I, well, I think I want to do it because – it's great. Because I think yeah. it's going to be like the oldest one that we've covered. Yeah, most likely. I don't think we've done anything I mean, from the silent era yet. But yeah, great movie. Uh, it will be fun to watch and talk about that one. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to see you see one of like the fundamental silent comedy classics. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I just I was just uh, taken by the by the poster of him just on a clock. They're like, this looks like one of those. Uh, this looks like a modern remake of one of those 20. Oh, no, it is one of those 20s things. Yeah, uh, probably one of the key influences on uh, Hudsucker Proxy, actually. So, uh, cool. A uh, couple big time movies next week. We're doing both Safety Last and Jaws, uh, both very well loved and very influential and important films that are uh, completely iconic. Uh, they're, they're the ones that the person is most associated with or were 
Spielberg has kind of grown beyond Jaws, I guess. But yeah, he's he's done a couple other things since then. He's done some stuff, but I still feel like it's his best. Controversial opinion, maybe. Perhaps. Uh, definitely better than Jurassic Park. <laughs> Jurassic Park's fine. We'll, we'll get into it. I, uh, I probably shouldn't get angry at about about an opinion that I can't have yet. <laughs> okay, so next week in the stacks, we're talking about safety, last, and jaws. Any final thoughts before we close? Um, yeah, make sure you put safety first and wear a seatbelt. Sure. Uh, or, or you know, <laughs> just like. Do what you uh, unless need to you're do. not in a car. Live on the edge. Uh, we're <laughs> we're all living on the edge. <laughs> uh, yes, we are. Whether all right. we want to be or not. Thanks so much for listening, as always, and keep watching the stacks. <laughs>